Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to the Whedonverse Podcast. A retrospective, spoiler-free podcast where we discuss the movies, series, comics, and games created or inspired by Joss Whedon. With your hosts, Mr. Universe. Number five, do the dance of joy. And the clairvoyant. Well, you're right about this being a bad idea. Also brought to you by the Tangent Bound Network. This episode, we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 7, Angel, and Episode 8, iRobot, You Jane, with special guest host Meg Griffin from Minions Minute and Outlandish Conversations. Season 1, Episode 7, Angel, written by David Greenwald, directed by Scott Brazil. Original air date, April 14th, 1997. Welcome back to yet another episode of Whedonverse Podcast. I can't even remember which one this is. Episode 5, already. Episode 5. And I'm Mr. Universe, your host, here as well with the Clairvoyant. Hi, Mr. Universe, how are you? I can't complain. It's a, it's a lovely uh, Wednesday at midnight, none of that's true. No, it's it's a Thursday at 8 p.m. Are you ready for another dose of uh, weekly Wiggins? The weekly Wiggins, yeah. And we start off this week with the episode Angel, which, best best episode so far, sorry to spoil it, but I'm a yeah, big fan. It does not suck. No, and on my first pass around, when I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I stopped after the pack, and I wouldn't give the show a second chance. I didn't go any farther than that. That's the worst. That's the the worst time to stop. Well, it's just because it, it hit that low, you know? Yeah. And I didn't get a chance to see this episode, and I really should have stuck around because it probably would have changed my mind, at least for one episode until the next episode. Honestly, I don't have too many complaints about the next episode, but we'll get to that shortly. Um, this episode actually aired on Sarah Michelle Gellar's 20th birthday, so happy belated birthday to her. <laughs> <laughs> Happy twentieth birthday, Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh April's what was it, fourteenth, nineteen ninety seven? April fourteenth, nineteen ninety seven. So <laughs> this episode starts off in the Master's Lair. Him and the anointed one, they seem to be at first pass uh feeding on dead geese. <laughs> <laughs> Master's got something in his hand, the anointed one's picking it out of it and throwing it into the pool the little pool. Apparently they're skipping rocks, but it just looks kind of weird. See, when I started this episode, I, maybe it's a Netflix thing, but uh, mine started with a previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is brand new to me. Yeah, it did. Because this episode's a big one, it's got a big plot points, so it wants to remind you of all the things that led up to that moment. I don't really notice those much. I don't really mention them because they don't stick out in my mind, but uh, yeah, I guess it does. There's the last two episodes we reviewed are were the only two, and actually will be the only two this season, that don't have the in every generation. Yeah. So that's weird. I don't know why those two episodes just don't have the intro. 
Yeah, and that's why I don't really notice it, because every TV show kind of has a little bit like that. But Darla walks in. The master starts berating her because Zachary, another badass vampire name, didn't return from his hunt because he has serious projection issues and it's apparently Darla's fault. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's not happy that Buffy's been taking out his vampies. I don't know why he wouldn't be, honestly. <laughs> he, he doesn't seem to care about them until they're gone. You never know what you have until they're not there. Yeah, he just likes bullying them. <laughs> so should we count that as a vamp death count one? We don't see it, but we do know what happened. Might as well. I mean, it was during the run of the show. Yeah, let's count it. We know that Buffy staked this vamp. I'm sure that she staked a bunch off screen, but we just won't count them if they're not mentioned. And we got to give props to the prosthetics team in this scene because we get a pretty decently close shot of the master and you can't tell where the prosthetics break. You can't tell like where it begins or where it ends and his head begins. Like It's a pretty good prosthetic mask. You can see up his bat nose. Yeah. Uh, Colin... <laughs> Colin. Uh, Colin. Madagascar. Says that he will annihilate Buffy. Or if it was him, he would annihilate Buffy. And I wonder if that kid was like that before he was anointed or because of his abusive alcoholic no. father or if he's just like that now. No, he was just a chill kid who liked planes. And that never even comes up again either. I wish they worked it in somehow, but it doesn't. <sighs> but, uh... Darla wants to annihilate Buffy, but like a sniveling lackey, or, wow, I worded that so wrong. Darla wants to do it, but she kind of snivels it like a lackey. Master (laughs) says he'll send the three instead, and we don't know anything about the three. But in the religious books of Samuel, King David's warriors are actually divided up into two sections, the 30 and the three. So that that might be a reference. It's, It's kind of a stretch. Imagine how pumped... The master would be though if those are like the biblical three, because he's he loves religious imagery apparently, and so the fact he's like, oh, we got these guys from the Bible. He's like, can I get your autograph? Like, <laughs> he'd be so pumped that he actually got biblical figures in his little cult. Yeah, I agree. And we cut to three uh, biker-looking skinheads smoking outside the bronze after that. With- yeah. And they're shooed off by three vampires in armor. So <laughs> it's a quick little plot twist. It's, I find it's effective, but it's too bad that they were wearing armor because armor is never badass in any show ever that takes place in <laughs> modern day. They are from like the biblical times, so that's what I'm chalking it up to. Yeah. Inside the bronze, later on, people are collecting cockroaches for the annual fumigation (laughs) party. Which really says a lot about Sunnydale. Really says a lot about the bronze. It's it's almost in the bad part of town. Or it is in the bad part of town. Barely. Yeah. Uh, Willow's telling Buffy all about the party, but she's zoned out thinking about boys. And we get a great line from Willow. Uh, It's an upbeat, what's it like where you are? Yeah, I also like uh, they. You know, they're talking about Angel, which becomes pretty apparent. Even the episode is titled Angel. I do like Buffy's line, uh, talking about Angel in a relationship. Hi, honey, you're in grave danger. See you next month. Yeah, and uh, Buffy tells Willow what it's like, what it feels like when Angel's around. Willow agrees, uh, looking at Xander, who is the worst dancer ever. I love his dancing so much. <laughs> he bumps he's, into Cordy. It's, it's so white. Uh, 
and they share some barbs when he bumps into Cordy, and I really like his, uh, I don't know what everyone's talking about, that outfit doesn't make you look like a hooker. <laughs> yeah. And then he uh, kind of dances all crazy around before heading back to Buffy and Will and teases them about being losers. A whirling gig of fun. Yeah. Uh, Buffy decides that she should probably go home since she's even bringing Xander down. And we get, there's actually a cut line right here where Xander talks about how he's got a crush on Buffy, but she's always seems somewhere else. And Willow responds with, gee, what's that like? All right. <laughs> uh, but she doesn't. He kind of turns away, and she says it. And someone's stalking Buffy on the way home. She sees Angel on the way out, or she thinks she does, but not quite. And then on the way home, someone's stalking her, and she tells them come out because she's in a bad mood. She doesn't want to play games. And one of the three shows up with the worst handlebar mustache ponytail combo ever. I don't know about ever. It's pretty <laughs> you, legendary. You think that there's worse? I think that this is in the top ten for best. Wow. So Buffy goes to stake him, but the other two of the three grab her. And this is weird, because it's framed in such a way that you think that the mustache guy would be the one grabbing her, but then he walks up to her when she's being held. And there's lots of orchestra hits in this scene. Like, the back... It's incorporated into the background music at this point, like cheesy old horror movie stings. Yeah, so she kicks Mustachio in the groin and attempts to fight her way free, but they grab her again, and they start to advance on her, and boom, title credits. That's a pretty good way to start an episode, I feel. It's pretty tense. It, you want to stick around after. They haven't really done anything where it's tense at the start of an episode. Usually they just set up the episode. Yeah, or they'll have some you know, throwaway joke. Yeah. And the the after the theme song, the one that looks like a metal singer with his long wavy hair, goes to bite Buffy. But uh, Angel, who was stalking her after all, pops in and saves the day. Yeah, he gets a good shot to the gut with a sword. <laughs> it's a fence post. As they're fighting, someone rips off a fence post and slashes him in the gut. I just remember it was sharp. And together, Buffy and Angel sort of fend them off, and then just decide just to run. Yeah, all the way home. And Buffy quickly ushers Angel into the house, and they slam the door on the hand of the one vampire that's reaching in. And this is a little bit different from the rest of the series' lore. Yeah, I was just thinking about it. They say vampires can't enter, but vampire hands can? Can they stand outside the door and try and lean forward and grab you, just not fully enter the room? And Angel explains just after this that you know vampires can't go into a house unless they're invited, uh, there is a theory going around on the internet that the three are so strong and so fearsome that they could get a little bit of their body in, but not all. Um, and that explains why when she closes the door, they kind of loom outside. I wonder how much of your body needs to be on the outside for it to count. Like, 7%, 7 inside, 93 outside. It's the math. Like, what, Can you just have like your toe touching the outside and your whole body's like crawling inside trying to grab them? It's like <laughs> a grounders as long as you're touching but it's just not accurate with the rest of the show because the rest of the show they can't even get anything in. You know, no, they, they just hit a force field. A force field, yeah. But uh, once inside, Buffy makes Angel strip down to his scabbies. Ooh, she he just takes off his shirts so she can bandage him up. And with his shirt off, Buffy notices that he's got a tattoo on his shoulder of a griffin with the letter A, not Meg Griffin. She's coming up. <laughs> 
as Buffy's bandaging Angel, there's just so much sexual tension. Yeah. Like I'm inhaling the fumes of sexual tension. You can cut it with an with a smoke knife. <laughs> At the most inopportune time ever, Joyce comes home. Yeah. Yeah, that was a uh, that's a good timing, really. And Buffy hastily tries to rush her upstairs. And I, right when Joyce came home, or right when they got there, rather, I thought, what if Joyce is home? And then she comes home, I was like, oh no. But yeah, Buffy <laughs> tries to usher her upstairs, and Angel just comes out and introduces himself, and that is so confident. Yeah, that's ballsy. Like, they use a cover that Angel's tutoring her, or rather Buffy does. Angel just came out and was just ready to introduce himself and be the polite gentleman that he is. Yeah, he's uh, Buffy struggling in history, which apparently is is canon because it happens later in the episode. She yeah. actually does struggle with history. Who who would have guessed? Yeah, and then after Joyce goes to bed, Buffy opens the door, calls out goodbyes to Angel, and then she closes it, and we see that it was all a, a ruse, which is pretty smart. I don't know. Who, like, that's such high school trickery. Who didn't yeah. do stuff like that? Like, I, I, I didn't, didn't do stuff I didn't, like that. but I like to think that I would have if I was cool. Yeah, give him the opportunity. <laughs> but her and Angel sneak upstairs, and Angel doesn't want Buffy to get into trouble like the good boy he is. She keeps insisting that he sleeps over to avoid being attacked, because that's why you want him to sleep over. Yeah. And uh, they argue over who gets the bed, who gets the floor. Angel decides to take the floor because he's the perfect gentleman. If you haven't noticed, I like Angel a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like Angel. And he respectfully even turns his back while Buffy changes. And if you haven't noticed, I kind of ship Buffy and Angel pretty hard. Yeah. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a gentleman. He's a bro. He's a bro brontleman. Gentle bro. There we go. That's better than brontleman. <laughs> but Angel tells Buffy the story of how his entire family was killed. And he hesitates and tells her, well, it was by vampires. And he just flirts so confidently with it that it just makes my makes my feels swoon. <laughs> I thought you were going somewhere else with that. Whoa. But Buffy's got a Chinese paper umbrella next to her bed, I noticed. It kind of looks reminiscent of the one Kaylee has in Firefly. It's not the same. This one's floral, and hers is like a swirl. But it, it's kind of cool to see the same motifs. If so, I remember correctly, I remember seeing that lantern in a scene in Season 5, so she keeps it I, I guess but i could be completely wrong and buffy asks angel as they're going to bed if he snores he says it's been a long time since anyone was in a position to let him know and in my notes i just wrote ship in all capitals i i laughed at that scene just the f- picturing angel snoring yeah but he's i think so that's stoic kind of... and so like uh he just he's the perfect gentleman perfect gentlemen don't snore but that's a, kind of a sad line. Like, it's been in a long time since anyone was in a position to let me know. It's like, oh, he only sleeps alone. Kind of sad. No, but it sounds like, to me, it kind of sounds like I haven't got any in so long. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it sounds like you. Uh, but we cut to the oh! library where Xander's upset that Angel slept next to Buffy. Willow thinks it's romantic, especially since he was a gentleman. A perfect gentleman, as Buffy says, and as we've been saying. It's true, okay? 
And we get a great line from Xander. It's the oldest trick in the book, the art of seduction. Buffy says, what? Saving my life? Getting slashed in the ribs? And Xander says, duh, guys would do anything to impress a girl. I once drank an entire gallon of Gatorade without taking a breath. And Willow caps it off with, it was pretty impressive, although there was an ick factor later. <laughs> That's just a fantastic exchange between them all. David Greenwald just kept it coming in that scene, beat after beat. You thought the joke was done, you'd add another bit to it that made it more funny. Like like Teacher's Pet. <laughs> no. He wrote that one too, didn't he? He did. I just wanted to put it in some perspective. <laughs> wow. He wrote, so far, one of the worst and the best episode of the season up to this point. Yeah. So he's not a one-trick pony. He also produced an entire series inspired by this episode, so... <laughs> yeah, and Giles, doing some research, tells Buffy that who she encountered was the three, so they need to start training harder with weapons, because they're some toughies. Medieval weapons. And Willow has a great line that's kind of true. How is it that you always know what's going on? I never know what's going on. And Giles responds... You weren't here from midnight to six researching, where Willow responds, No, I was sleeping. sleeping. <laughs> and I just love so many lines in this episode, and we're only like ten minutes in. I, I love how she says I just, no, I was sleeping. Yeah. Xander awkwardly tries to get Buffy to stay at his place, because he's a dweeb. It doesn't, it was... <laughs> Out of nowhere. Yeah, it's so not subtle, too. Yeah, and I wonder, like, in his mind... Like, the way it's written, it's to make it obvious to the audience what's going on. I wonder if in Xander's mind, like, he's half kidding, half not, and buff, to his friends, they think he's just fooling around. He's like, yeah, well, I w wasn't even serious. <laughs> uh, but Giles says, since the three failed, they're not a threat because they will offer their own lives in penance, which means they haven't failed yet since medieval times. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. But that seems to be common within the show. It's like, oh, this is a you know, powerful demon that's been around since for all of time. It's never been defeated. And then Buffy is, like, clipping her nails and fingernail hits it and it dies. Yeah, it kind of paints a picture that all the other Slayers were incompetent to some degree. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. There, I mean, we'll, I'll get into some comics, and there's a lot of comics that deal with some past Slayers. And there are some incompetent ones, yeah. But, uh... It's his Giles's coffee mug looks so nineties in this scene. It looks like it's for a charity of some sort. What's kind of, that's not a what kind of sentence is that? Giles' coffee mug looks nineties. That's his true. coffee mug looks like it's from a specific decade. Yeah, well, the artwork on it. But uh, back underground, the three, as Giles predicted, are offering their lives. The master gives Darla the giant long kind of stake spear to do it. She's and, so happy about it. Mm -hmm. She smiles so big, and she's so pumped when she does it. But she tells Colin, or he tells Colin, with power comes great responsibility, which is a Spider-Man quote. <laughs> yeah, and it made me laugh. Uh, but he says the line so forcefully, <laughs> he kind of spits out some air, and Colin's hair is blowing around, almost like he's in windy Madagascar. Enough. Where did Madagascar <laughs> come from? I thought of it in the shower one day. thought it would be a funny name for a kid. <laughs> Don't have kids. <laughs> the master says that their deaths will bring him little joy, and then Darla stakes all three, which is a, a vamp death count of four, and master says, sometimes a little is enough. What I noticed in this scene is Colin stands up 
and she was clearly sitting on the dusty floor for some time because, like, the whole back of Colin is just dust. <laughs> it's are just you, brown. Are you looking at a little kid's backside? I, I, you know, as I was saying it, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but this is the first instance of a vampire killing a vampire. Fun fact. Yeah. Uh, but Buffy goes through Giles' weapons cabin in the library's restricted area. She wants to try out the crossbow. Uh, but Giles says, no, quarterstaff first, puts on his padded gear, and teaches Buffy how to fight with it. And she kicks his ass. Yeah, and she jokes about how she won't have to fight Friar Tuck, which is a Robin Hood reference. He uses the quarterstaff. And a spoiler. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but he is really good, and Buffy kicks his ass because of girl power. But at first, you know, he's countering her pretty pretty good. And yeah. on the ground, he says, good, let's move to the crossbow. <laughs> I wonder because, how he, I guess he wouldn't really have to be in the way when it comes to crossbow. <laughs> yeah, presumably, I don't think he's the target practice. Never know. Uh, but Buffy comes home, Angel's in her room still, which is creepy, and we find out he's been there all day, which is even creepier. And he says he's been doing some reading. Buffy sees her open diary and just goes on defense tangent you know hunk can mean a lot of things when i said your eyes were penetrating i meant bulging and the a doesn't even stand for angel it stands for Ahmed, a charming foreign exchange student so the whole fantasy part has nothing to do with you and, and <laughs> i angel, love that part yeah, angel says well your mother moved the diary here when she came in here to straighten up i watched from the closet and i didn't read it which is so awkward yeah that uh if her feelings weren't clear before. <laughs> yeah. And Angel says he doesn't want to be around Buffy anymore because he can't stop thinking about kissing her. Aww. Aww. That's a weird sentence, really. Yeah. but th I don't want to be around you because I want to kiss you. <laughs> well, I guess he, he does say that he's much older than she is. Yeah. Which is true. Thinking back just a little bit, it's weird to think that Buffy has a diary. You know... Do you think she writes about slaying or anything like that, or just to purge her teenage thoughts that aren't about slaying, to make her feel it's, more normal? It's weirder about it. What? The fact that they haven't sold it as a promotional material by now. I don't know if I'd want to read that. I'd feel wrong. Yeah, but it feels like, I mean, they have yearbooks, they have watcher's guides, they have a Ouija board, they have everything. Ouija board. That's what I said. We'll play back and we'll see. But I love how we finally get some character development for Angel. They held on any semblance of a personality for so long. And yeah. finally we get, you know, he says more than two words an episode. And we get some character. We get some backstory as to what happened to his family. Which really, like, you know, it, that fleshes him out quite a bit. Because before it's like, why does this guy care? Yeah. And he's like, oh... He, his family's dead. They were killed by vampires. That's why he cares. Uh, but Buffy, well, Angel first says he can't date her because he's older. She says much older, but doesn't seem to care. Takes the flirt bait and kisses him on the lips. Yes. Finally, sexual tension has hit a peak. And they kissed. But Angel pulls away. Buffy asks what's wrong. He turns back and boom, he's got a vamp face. Whoa! I can't imagine anyone watching this for the first time and not at least raising an eyebrow. No yeah. one saw that coming. 
I want to discuss the twist and how you felt about it when you first saw it and how I felt when I first saw it. Like, when I first saw the series, I had known that he was a vampire. It was common knowledge to me by that point. So when I saw that, every time I saw him before that, I picked out all the little hints. So when that happened, it was still a little bit of like a jump that it happened right there. But I knew that he was a vampire. It wasn't a shock. I don't think I did know. But there were definitely hints. Cordelia's uh, joke about her making out with him until he runs out of breath and they need to call an ambulance. Or Buffy saying that he teaches her history. Uh, there's lots of little jokes scattered throughout. Yeah. Uh, his first, One of his first lines, he says, I don't bite. Which kind of gives it away almost. When you know, Vampire Slayer. He says he's older than her. Much older. Uh you know, how when they're running to her house, too, she quickly says, come in, come in, which is how he can get in her house. She invited him. Yeah, so I, I personally, I don't remember the first time I watched this episode because it was, I was but a young teen, but I don't think I knew. And I remember it being, yeah, at least worthy of raising an eyebrow. I did not see that coming. And that's when I started really sitting down and paying attention to the series. And that's just so tense. Like, Slayer kisses a person that turns out to be a vampire. That's, like, boom. That's poetic. I think Giles actually has a line where he says it's kind of poetic. And it he is. Does. The vampire Slayer falling in love with a vampire. And, I mean, that's such a, like, kind of obvious thing to go with. But the fact that no one saw it coming, like, you know, the vampire Slayer falling in love with a vampire, you know, loving the enemy... Romeo and Juliet style thing. It's a common trope, but no one's... <laughs> I don't think anyone saw it coming back in 97. And it wasn't planned originally, if I remember correctly. That wasn't... You know, Angel was supposed to be a one-episode wonder, and that was never supposed to be in the plan. Joss never wanted a vampire slayer loving a vampire. That wasn't what the idea of the show was. It just happened kind of naturally because of their chemistry. I could see that. Uh, I could be wrong, but that's if I recall. And Bobby screams after this. Angel books it out the window, kind of scampers out. Yeah, he kind of like sand skiffs down the roof. And after this, Joyce comes in as the ever-concerned mother. And I'm really glad that they wrote this in. Because it's these human moments that make Joyce just feel like a mom. You know, Buffy screams, and they could have just cut there. But instead, they had the mom come in and say, what's wrong? And then they cut. Yeah, and she says that she saw a shadow, which seems very un-Buffy. Yeah. And the next day at school, the whole gang's shocked that Angel's a vampire. And Giles tells Buffy, well, a vampire can't be a good person. It's a demon in a human shell, and there is no halfway. And Xander's a skateboard. Does he? I didn't notice. <laughs> he doesn't use it, but he has one. And Buffy thinks that this is probably part of the Master's evil plan. I do love Xander's line, you're in love with an umpire. <laughs> yeah, Xander, well, first Xander lays it out straight before we get there. Uh, Slayer versus Vampire, she knows what she has to do. And it's not like you're in love with him, and then a beat. And, you're in love with a vampire? Are you out of your mind? Cordelia, of course. Pants. Wrong place, right time. Overhears it. And so Xander appends what he says. <laughs> Saying, uh, you love an umpire. It's a hilarious save. <laughs> yeah. And then Cordelia is actually talking about someone else who has the ugly, same spotted dress as her. Yeah, it's rare. It's uh, ugly rainbow polka dots. Yeah. 
Never seen anything like that before. Meanwhile, we cut to Angel in his above-ground vamp flat, which is pretty nice, actually. I've got to say, it's got paper changing room, like Chinese style. It's got nice lamps. Like, who does his decorating? I don't think he has a decorator. He's trying to lay low. I think, actually, at one point, somebody asks him, and he says that he does it himself, but I can't remember. I think he's just got, I mean, he's, He's clearly been around for a while. He's got these accumulated taste. He's a man of class. <laughs> well, then how do you explain the master? He's been around even longer. <laughs> He's been trapped in a church for 60 years. And now that I think about it, the master can't ever change his clothes. He's wearing that gross trench coat thing all the time. It probably smells so bad. No, he has his bath of CGI blood. <laughs> but Angel senses someone's presence, asks who's there. Darla responds, a friend, which in, uh, actually echoes one of Angel's first lines. Yeah, I didn't actually catch that. Uh, Angel teases Darla because of her Catholic schoolgirl look. She kind of hints that she's doing this because he seems to be in schoolgirls nowadays, which pretty illegal. Yeah, but this I like this scene a lot. It, they really set up this rich history between these two. Yeah, he says, the last time I saw you, it was kimonos, which is not entirely untrue, but as we find later, the last time they actually did see each other was during the Boxer Rebellion in China, and they don't wear kimonos in China, that's Japanese. They'd actually probably be wearing hanfu. Yeah, um, and so yeah, don't worry, we will see a lot of backstory with Darla in episodes to come. And one thing I really liked about this is... Early in Buffy, there's a lot of things that they say that almost need to be changed or adapted later on because they hadn't really settled on a, a, you know, they hadn't really completed the show yet as they wanted it. They hadn't, nothing was concrete and they didn't really have a show Bible clearly. So they would say things and then they would almost contradict them. But this scene... Darla's, you know, they're just, they're just talking about the times they had together throughout the ages. And this is not only not contradicted, it's explored, which for, you know, episode seven, good on them. Yeah, and uh, Darla and Angel reminisce about all the havoc that they used to cause. But Darla chides Angel for trying to be human and opens the blinds to prove to him that he's not. Which is a bad idea because she was there. Yeah. She opened the blinds. She is a vampire, too. Which makes me wonder, how did she get there during the day? I don't... I, well, that's probably why he leaves so quickly at night. He just doesn't go out at day. Yeah. But Angel remarks that he's not exactly human, but he's not exactly one of them, either. So from this, we can gather that while Angel's a vampire, him being good doesn't seem like it was a trick. Yeah, he's he's kind of shuns the company of other vampires. And his mini-fridge, we find, is filled with IV drips of blood, in case you're still in denial. I know when I first saw this scene, I, and I know I told you I wasn't surprised he was a vampire, but I thought maybe he became a vampire later. And I was a little bit in denial in this scene, thinking, you know, but it doesn't feel right, like, that he's a vampire already, until you see the IV blood drips, and then you're like, yeah, he has to be. And Darla makes a joke about how he doesn't exactly live on quiche, which... Let's be fair. I am a human being. I am not a vampire. I don't live on quiche. I hate quiche. Quiche is what... No one lives on quiche. Uh, But Angel... Or rather, Darla mentions that Angel's been cursed. Just quickly implied. uh, But that's not enough to bring Buffy around to Team Angel. 
and later at the library, the gang is all researching when Giles finds something and startles Xander. Because <laughs> they're all kind of quietly in their books in their own world. Giles walks up and Xander, can you warn us before you do that? Uh, Giles finds evidence of Angelus, which is the one with the angelic face ravaging Ireland about 200 years ago. It confirms that it's their angel because he has a tattoo of Meg Griffin on his right shoulder. <laughs> he, they, he also states that Angel is about 240 or so. Now, this is one thing that I found interesting because I, I could be wrong. I, I didn't do <laughs> I didn't do research or anything. But wow. No, but I, I didn't look too deeply into this because we'll touch upon it later once we get to it. But I, if I remember correctly, this is the only thing in the episode that actually contradicts something that is future that is said later in the series. Because I believe Angel's actually he's either older or younger than the age that Giles Giles Giles's book pegs him as. But you know that can easily be chalked up to rounding up or an inaccurate history text. Yeah. And Xander is flustered because that means Buffy knowing he has the tattoo means she saw him naked, which actually was shirtless, but she doesn't correct him. <laughs> yeah, she, no one really cares about Xander's feelings. No. And Giles' estimate, yeah, as you said, is he's about 250 years old, but about 80 years ago he moved to America, started shunning other vampires, living alone, and there's been no record of him hunting since. Now, I do want to go on record here and say that I do actually side with Xander in this. Because, well, I mean, he doesn't know the whole story, and I wouldn't know the whole story. You know, none of us do at this point. But the fact that he is a vampire, she is the slayer, she has to stake him, just because there's no record of him biting anyone in the last 80 years, that doesn't mean anything. He is an evil, soulless being, and he needs to die. That's, you know, that's those are the the hard facts and much as they like to bring love into it you know i actually would side with xander's viewpoint on this i knowing what he does and i think xander in the scenes half led by his brain but mostly led by jealousy and he pegs it off as oh it's the smart thing to do but really it's jealousy more than that and buffy and willow are really running on heart and giles is just running on brain he doesn't care but <laughs> so i think giles out of all of them, is the one running purely on on logic fumes. Yeah, but Giles does also side with Xander as well. He does, uh, but I feel Xander has slightly different reasons. Yeah, I side with Xander. I don't, you know, it's not that I you're jealous feel, of Buffy. Feel exactly what Xander feels, but I would be on Team Giles and Xander with this Team Logic rather than Team Love. And. I'm the opposite, just because I've got a big heart and I need room for everybody. <laughs> I don't know. It, just, it wasn't written down. I had to improvise. But <laughs> Xander has a good line here. Fish gotta swim, birds gotta fly. It's a reference to the musical Showboat. Or taken from the lyrics, rather, not a reference. Uh, Buffy defends Angel, saying, well, he didn't try to feed on me. But Giles and Xander adamant that he's a monster. He is. He is, but... He's more than that. You know that. Underground, Darla's finally a big girl because she tells the master that she wants to go after Buffy. He says, oh, you're giving me orders now? And instead of sniveling away like any other episode, she says, okay, I'll just stand around while he takes us out one by one. She takes us out. What's his master going to do? If he tries to grab her, she can step slightly out of his reach. Yeah, but good for 
Darla standing up for herself. I really like that. She's yeah, actually she, growing as a character. Yeah, she gets, she gets you know some sass. That's the word I'm looking for. But Darla reveals her plan, which is to get Angel to kill Buffy, and come back to their vampy book club, because she wants it to look like self-defense. Pit Buffy and Angel against each other, and he has to kill her by winning. Which she's been, you know, she's staked every vampire I've been against her so far. I don't know if that's the best plan, but, but it's it's better than you know they don't. It's not really a huge loss if they lose Angel because he's not part of their group anyway. As we see some of Darla's plan, I have to just comment that it's an absolutely brilliant plan. Some of it, it she, she so well thought out. Yeah, but then she wrecks it herself, and I'll point that out as well. But the master remarks that he misses Angel and how vicious he was. When spoiler, uh, when Angel and the master actually meet for the first time, they don't get along. So maybe that's why the master misses him. Maybe that's what vampires like. It well, it appears the master has a penchant for killing his obedient minions. So <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe he's like that guy's got newts. I like that. <laughs> newts. Uh, Colin is just in the background of every scene. He does little, he says less. Like, why was he even brought onto this show? Is he just a plot twist that was forced to stick around because he's a no, character? He's. It feels like he's a prophecy that they fulfilled too early because they, they needed an episode. <laughs> yeah, he was a plot twist, and they're like, well, it's a human plot twist, or at least like a corporeal one. So he's got to stick around now, but we don't know what to do with him. But, like, the thing is, he has a purpose. He, you know, he's to fulfill a prophecy where he brings the Slayer to the Master. But they kind of jumped the gun with bringing him onto the show. Yeah, they just got, I don't know, excited. Back at the library, Buffy and Willow are actually studying actual schoolwork, and it surprised me at first. Yeah, they're actually doing so. They're talking about the reconstruction, and Buffy says the reconstruction happened after the construction because the original work was shoddy. Yeah, but Buffy, of course, keeps focusing on Angel instead of history, and Willow mentions that she has a fantasy that Xander will just grab her and kiss her on the lips. And I guess I kind of ship mouth. it. Yeah. I guess I kind of ship it when she says it like that. I love how Willow just says, are we going to talk about history of boys? And then she just closes the book and starts talking about boys. Yeah. Buffy tells Willow just to go for it, but Willow's not down. And meanwhile, Darla's listening in on their girl talk in the library. And fun fact, you can actually see her reflection on the shiny bookcase that she's next to. And vampires don't have reflection, so boo! Boo! <laughs> yeah, boo! <laughs> this is 90s no-budget show for not using CGI to edit out every reflection of vampires. You rub matte coating on the bookshelf so it doesn't shine. That's not necessary. Put a piece of carpet on there. <laughs> That's noticeable. <laughs> but the girls are discussing trying to get over Angel so Buffy can stake him. Darla's heard all she needs to hear, apparently. And back on Ravello Drive, Joyce is being a lonely mom and doing lonely mom stuff. <laughs> yeah, drinking wine. But there's a knock on the door, and she goes to look. No one's there. As she turns around, a vampire Darla peeks through the window. It's not shocking, but it's not ineffective either. It's It doesn't make sense why she would do... Maybe to see if somebody's home. It's also... One, it's I think the first time in this episode you actually see Darla in vamp face, which in is weird because previously we've only, aside from the very first episode, we've only seen her in vamp face. Or so, she calls it her true face. 
Yeah, so it's interesting that she chose to do this whole uh, episode in, in Humey face. Humey that feels face. vaguely racist. <laughs> but uh, as Joyce walks away, there's another knock. She opens the door for Darla, who's a friend of Buffy's. And she's a master trickster in this scene. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about, her plan that's just... Ooh. And she tells Joyce that she's helping Buffy study for history. Willow's the Civil War expert, but she's here to help with the War of Independence. She with, has some family that... Yeah. Uh, uh. And Joyce invites Darla in, and I was like, no, stop. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. And she invites Darla to come stay with her while she does taxes because she's a lonely mom. Would you like something to eat? And Darla goes vamp face behind her back, and I feel this is a really tense scene, just because every other episode of Buffy, Xander, Willow, Giles, any of them are in danger, there's no really stake at this point. <laughs> I know. but I think that's probably at least once an episode we've it, made a stake. I, I know. One of our Twitter followers, uh, Captain Tight Pants, actually suggested making a drinking game of it. But... Also, every time that I have to, or that I have a note that I'm not sure what it, uh, what it means, what it, which is very common, I admit. But yeah, I feel this tense because one of the main people is in danger. I feel there's no, you know, you're not worried that they're not going to make it. But with Joyce, she's a more minor character. I feel like there's a chance that she might not make it. So this is, I feel, a really tense scene. And back outside, we see Angel stalking around until he hears Joyce scream. He breaks in. Darla's draining Joyce. And this is actually the first time a major character in the canon part of the Buffyverse, not including the pilot, uh, gets fed on by a vampire. Jesse. He doesn't count as a major character. He was supposed to be, but he's not. And Angel's jacket in this scene actually cost about $1,000. Damn, boy. How do you know that? Because... <laughs> the internet... Darla tries to get Ang Angle, <laughs> I, I spelt it wrong, to drink from Joyce, and he goes vamp face, but he can't bring himself to do it while Darla sneaks away. And I don't think it's that he can't bring himself to do it. I think he's trying really hard to not do it. Yeah. It's not that he's trying really hard to do it and can't. But at the most inopportune time ever, Buffy walks in and sees a vampy angel holding a teeth marked Joyce. So that's really good timing, actually, on Darla's part. Yeah, that's why her plan is... Oh, that's that's beautiful. And then, I mean... Later, it, it gets better, too. It gets better. Darla, you... you minx. Same thing. But, but neither apply. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I love the misunderstanding in the scene and the dramatic irony because it just always makes for good storytelling. You know, the yeah. audience knows what happened, and we know that Angel's good, but everything just looks wrong to Buffy, and she doesn't know any of that. Yeah, that's... Ooh, you're like, you want to scream at your TV. <laughs> and so Buffy throws Angel through the window because on top of the hospital bills, Joyce needs glasswork bills to pay as well. Yeah, because... Yeah, that's. I think that's the first time that the house on Ravello Drive has taken any damage, but it's not going to be the last... <laughs> I don't understand how she, how she she doesn't explain it in the episode. I wonder how she would later to her mom. Would she tell her, "Well, when when this all you tripped, you must have fell through the window <laughs> onto a barbecue fork." Yeah. So she threatens Angel, saying, "If he comes near her family again, she'll kill him." And he saunters off. Buffy tries to wake her mom, 
which is, you know, I'm not too worried for Joyce at this scene, but it's still kind of touching. She calls an ambulance. It's the first time we hear Buffy's address, which is 1630 Ravello Drive. And she uses the cover that her mom cut herself in the neck. Yeah. Yeah, I also found uh, the scene of Buffy screaming at her mom uh, powerful. Yeah, and it's just because, you know, calling an ambulance is such a real-world thing that Buffy's never had to do anything like that. Yeah. Like, she can't help this time. She's got to call somebody else to help. And Xander and Willow show up, and Buffy tells them what Angel did. And we cut to the hospital where Giles is wearing his Gryffindor scarf and trying to find Joyce's room. And Joyce remembers Buffy's friend came over. She was making a snack, and she slipped and cut her neck on a barbecue fork. This is where Darla's plan plan is beautiful. Because she's like, oh, your friend came over to study. Yeah. That's, oh. And she didn't even know. Darla didn't even know. So she's confused. It just all came together so beautifully. She's like, oh, Angel. Like, she already suspected it was Angel because she saw him holding her body. But now this, like, basically just confirms any suspicion. And Darla's just like, oh, I was just messing around. (laughs) But Joyce is confused because she thought she cut her neck on a barbecue fork and they don't have one. But... Just, I'm just saying in the scene to Joyce, like I'm yelling at my TV, just say he or she or say her or any female pronoun. Don't just say your friend. Come on. <laughs> but Giles shows up. Joyce is confused, thinks he's a doctor at first, and then even more confused when she finds out he's the librarian. Uh, but she's a boy. She, the teachers really do care in this town. <laughs> yeah, she's pleasantly surprised. She thinks that the teachers are there for their students and uh buffy reassures the gang that her mom will be okay giles gives some of the blood loss lore for vampires saying it usually presents itself as mild amnesia i don't think that's anemia he said touched on did he say anemia i don't know i usually i think i had subtitles on he said amnesia and that's why she doesn't quite remember either way either works because they both are kind of accurate but buffy's beating herself up because she didn't stop this before it happened, and she resolves to finally kill Angel. And Giles actually tries to stop her at first. He tells her that, you know, Angel's stronger than most vampires, he's better, but she's determined. He's hotter? Yeah, he's hotter. He's uh, steamier, sulkier. More gentlemanly. But uh, she's got that Buffy rage again, so she goes and grabs the crossbow. And back at the vamp flat, Darla's bugging Angel about it. Uh, And there's a cool juxtaposition of Buffy shooting pictures of supermodels with crossbows, male supermodels, as Darla bugs Angel. And Angel agrees that he just wants it over with, and he gets rough with Darla, who I guess likes it kinky. Yeah, she gets really happy about that. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, Buffy's stalking out the bronze, because she decided that Angel must live nearby. He saved her from the three so quickly. And she hears a noise, goes I think to investigate. he just stalks her, though. It yeah. Is- he doesn't necessarily have to live nearby. As long as she's around, he's around. Yeah, but she hears a noise, a glass crash, and the bronze goes to investigate. It's closed down for the, the fumigation event. And at the hopsicle, Giles and Joyce are having a conversation about Buffy, their schoolwork. There's a fly in my room. In winter? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Giles and Joyce are discussing Buffy and her schoolwork, and... Joyce has the line, she's stunning with Willow, she's stunning with Darla, she just isn't improving. 
And Joyce reveals to Giles that Darla was the friend that come over. And yeah. that's like a race against the clock. It's like, no, Buffy, what are you doing? Stop, yeah. stop, stop. <laughs> Where are cell phones in the 90s? Page her. Page her. <laughs> but Giles leaves to go check and see if Darla's all right. And Joyce remarks that the school is just amazing. But can you imagine it from her eyes? Like, That's awesome teacher reports. That's like... Report? Yeah. Rapport? Yeah, like teacher report. <laughs> well, I was thinking like school reports when I said it, so that's why it came out that way. <laughs> but, but yeah, that yeah, that's just a. Uh, that's, I want to go to the school where the teachers visit my. No, I don't want my parents to end up in the hospital. <laughs> but elsewhere, Buffy's inside the closed down bronze, and she hears someone. She says, "I know what you are," which Angel responds from the shadows, "An animal, right?" Buffy has a good line, not an animal, animals I like. Which, she's even doing her sassy comebacks to Angel. Yeah, so you know it's going down if she's bringing out her her one-liners. <laughs> <laughs> but Angel comes out and they start to fight. He's a little bit too quick for her, and she's not too great with a crossbow for being real. <laughs> yeah. But he has an awesome vamp morph. An actually yeah. good one for once. Yeah, it... it was pretty good. It wasn't too bad, actually. I was surprised. I, mu- I mentioned that. But she gets him in a checkmate with her crossbow eventually. And his vamp makeup actually took an hour and a half to put on, which is more than the average. And I don't know if that's because they're trying to make him look attractive or if they're trying to make his vamp makeup look better than most because he's a main character. I think it's because he's he has more screen time and more close-ups and stuff. Yeah, they don't really need to focus too much on the other vamps. They're just minor. Yeah, speaking of vamp makeup, the Masters actually took five hours to put on, so that sucks for him. (laughs) Yeah. But Angel's goading Buffy into trying to kill him. Buffy wants to chat first about the sick joke of making her love him. Which Which isn't really funny. No, but it is, like, from her eyes, that is pretty sick and twisted, which is something that Elizabeth later find Angelus would do but when he takes off the us and he's just a regular angel he's not you know quite like that uh he tells her that he's the one that killed his family and his friends and his friend's children and he's trying to egg her on i think he just wants her to kill him he just wants to die but he's also not lying (laughs) no he's not and that's why he's telling her he also tells her that 80 years ago he fed on a romani gypsy girl about buffy's age and they cursed him by restoring his soul. So that's why he's good now. So I think cursed by gypsies, that's dumb. I'm just throwing it out there. A gypsy curse is a dumb plot point. But that curse itself is brilliant. Take a vampire, someone who has no soul. So they don't have any remorse, any guilt. They do terrible things and they are literally incapable of caring. Yeah. And restoring his soul. It seems like just a small thing. You're like, and that's a good thing. You know, a vampire with a soul. What? Why would he not want his soul? But now the only thing it did is it makes him feel guilt and remorse for all those bad things he's done and all the bad things that he needs to continue to do to survive. Yeah. That is a twisted curse. Yeah, and he, like he just... I can't even imagine. Like, And that's what makes Angel so tortured and such a great character is because of all the stuff he's done that he can't ever apologize for that he can't ever make right 
Yeah, he he's. I mean, and that's a large. I mean, he. I don't think there's any spoilers in saying he gets his spinoff show, and a large part of that is atonement. You know. Yeah, and that's what his character is really all about, and that's why he's trying to help Buffy because he wants to make things right. But we we get Angel's backstory, and he says, "You a great line. You have no idea what it's like to do the things I've done and to care about it." But he he does tell her that he didn't bite her mom. But he never told her at the time because he wanted to bite her. And he wanted to kill Buffy. And I just want to say, this is such a good scene. It's such a good scene. Like, the gypsy curse, dumb on the page, but the way they delivered it, you don't even think about how dumb it is. Yeah. It's just, it feels like a very, like, (laughs) cursed by gypsies. It feels so really, but a lot of the things in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if you take a step back and look at it, like, that's dumb. But... It's the way they present it. You don't even think about it. If you try and explain some of the stuff later in the series to someone who hasn't seen the series, they're like, that sounds like the dumbest show I can possibly think of. But it's really just, yeah, it's such a tense, dramatic scene. You don't even think about how ridiculous in theory it is. But uh, Buffy puts down her crossbow and dares Angel to kill her, and spoiler, he doesn't. Uh, Darla shows up in a different schoolgirl outfit, smiling away with her big... Julie Ben's smile. Toothy, vampy grin. And meanwhile, Willow, Giles, and Xander are on their way to warn Buffy about all this. And we cut back. Darla says, you know what the saddest thing in the world is? And Buffy's great zinger. Dead hair on top of that outfit. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the midst of all this, she can still fire one to... It's great. And Darla tells Buffy that she was the one that sired Angel. And they actually dated for a long time and used to share everything. But he threw it all away for her. Which... Darla, you wrecked your own plan. You know, you cemented the fact that Angel's good and that he's not just lying to her about this curse. You know, vampires don't like him, and you've told Buffy this. So way to go. You set up this amazing plan, and you you screw it all up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Buffy pulls up her crossbow. Actually, she kick flips her crossbow into her hand. Yeah. <laughs> she, like, steps on it and flicks up. And Darla remarks scary before whipping out two pistols and saying scarier and that's that bad line again i mentioned it in our second episode that you know that i know what they're going for but it's just not good it's oh my god and the idea of a vampire with guns is a good idea i don't know why no vampires thought of that that's an effective way to kill a slayer because clearly hand-to-hand isn't working but it was just so oh it was you it's such a groaner like when they it's on the screen yeah and Um, also she has infinite bullets (laughs) she she does not reload and she does not run out but she shoots angel but it's all g because it can't kill him it just hurts like hell and then she's shooting up the rest of the bronze and the gang hears it from outside and what kind of vampire shoots anyway like as much as i like this episode it's kind of smart one it's kind of dumb though and not scary but it does show, I guess, that vampires have more weapons and more resources than just fangs. I don't... But honestly, like I said, I don't know why a vampire didn't think of this earlier. Right? They're like, let's go... Let's like, let's put my face really close to her fist instead of let's try and kill her from a distance. Take her out with modern technology. <laughs> but Buffy... I don't know what I wrote here. Buffy hides the bullets. I think I meant to write she's hiding from the bullets. <laughs> and she pops up 
adjusts to miss Darla's heart with the crossbow. She gets her right in the belly, but no dice. She was close. And inside the bronze, uh, the gang distracts Darla by calling out to Buffy what really happened to her mom. She already knows, but it's a good distraction. It's not a good distraction. Well, it's... <laughs> it's dumb. The it's best bad. they can do. The best they can do. And there's... She turns and tries to get them, gives Buffy a little bit of time to kick the pool table. And there's a really dumb Grindhouse-esque scene where Buffy kicks it and Darla's laying on her back shooting her dual pistols. Yeah, it reminded me of like the game Wet, which actually stars future Buffy star Eliza Dushku. <laughs> but it was really kind of dumb. Giles distracts Darla further by kicking on the strobe light. And meanwhile, Darla destroys all the bronze's cups. <laughs> Uh, Darla goes to shoot Buffy. She's got her cornered, and Angel pops up behind her and stakes her. Yes. That, you say yes. I actually, first thing, that, that's a shame. That's, like, she was starting to become such a cool character. But how hard must it be for a vampire to stake their sire? Like, it must... He doesn't care. I think he does. I think he cares about everything he does. And I think, you know, they had a lot of history that, while they did mess up stuff, he still has some feelings... And I feel he only did it to save Buffy, and it really cements once again that he's the good guy. And that's a vamp death count of five for the episode. And Angel, I think, yeah, he proved himself with that, but instead he saunters off without saying anything. And Buffy really doesn't know what to think. And Sarah Michelle Geller's face in the scene is just so, like, in shock. It's such good acting. Downstairs, the master's losing his marbles and smashing <laughs> stuff. He's going full out Citizen Kane, just trashing everything. He's got like no vamps left. <laughs> he is Colin. But Colin, yeah, Colin tells the Master to forget Darla, and Master says, No, she was my favorite for 400 years, which. What about Luke, you jerk face? I thought he was your favorite. I feel like Colin isn't even a vampire. He's just a little. <laughs> you never little see him dick. in vamp face, probably because you. I mean, you don't ever want to put a kid in heavy prosthetic makeup. It seems mean. But you never see him in vamp face. I feel like they just got him. Maybe that guy from Never Kill a Boy on the First Date was supposed to be the anointed one, and he died. So this guy, this this still-living kid was their second plan, and he's like, yeah, I'm evil, I'll do it. <laughs> but uh, Colin tells the Master that he'll bring her the Slayer, bring him the Slayer. And yeah, right. He's he tries, so comforting. <laughs> it's okay, baby. <laughs> and he tries to pep talk the master, and it actually works. Yeah. But uh, at the bronze's post-fumigation party, Buffy runs into Angel to uh, Sophie Zamani as the music playing. Xander decides not to look because he's not threatened and he doesn't need to watch. And <laughs> Angel is just checking on Buffy and her mom, making sure everything's okay. And oh, like that's just sweet. And they agree that this can't be anything serious. Buffy forgives them for being a vampire. And <laughs> they keep talking about how, well, we got to go. We can't, this can't happen. We've got to, you know, go away. But they can't pull themselves away. And they end the episode with a kiss. And Xander's, what's going on? <laughs> well, nothing. Well, as long as they're not kissing. <laughs> yeah. I just love their, their half-assed protests. Yeah, they know. like, no, we can't do this. Yeah, I know. It would never work. So and, one of us has to go. <laughs> and Buffy and Angel decide to just see each other around, and they don't want to. And we 
finishing off the entire episode by seeing that Angel has a cross seared into his chest, probably to punish himself for the love or everything that went down. I think it's because he was just kissing Buffy and she was wearing a cross. Oh, I didn't even notice. (laughs) The one that he gave her, actually. He didn't care. He didn't call out. Like, that's tough. He's a toughie. But Marty Noxon actually thought this show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, would fail because the movie failed. Until this episode is when she turned around, just like many fans. She was a writer and producer for the show. She hadn't written yet, and she hadn't she produced, but she hadn't written yet, and she just you know she just signed on and just assumed this show is gonna fail. Well, she was iffy, but I think this is the best episode to date. It really it makes things more tense by making Angel a legitimate love interest, but a Slayer and a vampire love interest, and it was just intense. And to make him feel all the evil that he's done. So, our final death count for the episode is five vampires. No humans. And, uh, Clairvoyant, what would you give this episode as a rating? This is easily the best episode to date. Lots of twists, and not just twists for the sake of twists. Actual series-changing plot twists that, you know, we will feel the... You know, the... Re- resi- the ramifications. They will resonate, uh, you know... Until the show ends, honestly. Like, these are... This is huge. This is a huge, huge episode that I doubt at the time they knew how much influence this was going to have on the rest of the series. And so, you know, this is the biggest episode of season one. And I would give it four out of five stakes. And I have four out of five stakes as well. I feel it could have been a 4.5 if it weren't for the gunfight. But, <laughs> but I think four out of five stakes... Uh, is solid for this episode. It's not the best of the entire show, but it's definitely one of the best of the season, and it really shows you what the show can and will become. Whedonverse podcast rating, four out of five sticks. If you like what you hear, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at at Whedoncast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, or review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. The Whedonverse Podcast is brought to you by the HHW LOD Network. You can find them at hhwlod.com, on Twitter at hhwlod underscore network, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash hhwlod. The Tangent Bound Network can be found at tangentboundnetwork.com, on Twitter at tangentboundpc, and on Facebook at tangentboundnetwork. Season 1, Episode 8, iRobot, You Jane. Written by Ashley Gable and Thomas A. Swyden. Directed by Stephen Posey. Original air date, April 28, 1997. So welcome to another, the second part, the second episode, rather, that we'll be covering this week. Uh, now, fun fact, we were supposed to have a guest on the last episode we did, Angel, uh, another super special guest like we did last week, but they fell violently ill. And the funny thing is, I don't know how funny it is, but before that, when we did have one sick puppy last week, 
it ended up being delayed due to an emergency. So what do we do, Mr. Universe, to our guests? Uh, we poison them, of course. But, yeah, we our guests had to reschedule. She'll be back next week uh, for the episode of Angel. She'll be back next week for Nightmares. But we do have a special guest today, hailing all the way from the Musings of a Geek Network. We have Meg Griffin, the co-host of Mindian's Minute and Outlandish Conversations podcast. Hello. Hi. How are you today, Meg? You know, it's really funny you mentioned that. I'm actually sick. <laughs> <laughs> I like came home from work early today because I became so sick last night. Oh, wow. But I'm here, and I'm so sad I didn't get to do Angel since your guys' other guest wasn't able to because that's like my favorite episode of season one. Yeah, it is. It's a really <laughs> strong one. So and actually, the, I'm recording. I mean, I record in a, a, a nearby person's basement, as my own house is way too loud. They're sick too. <laughs> so I, maybe it's going around, or maybe we cause it. You guys are spreading out to different states and all over the country now. Getting well, see, we're in Canada, so we're spreading over two countries. Oh, see, it's an international pandemic. <laughs> I wanted to mention Meg Meg Griffin. Is that your maiden name? No, it is not. So I you picked it. Really I had it. to think hard about if this is really what you wanted. Well, you know what's what's really funny is until I got married or until I started dating my husband, um, no one ever called me Meg. You know, my, I was always Megan. That was my name, and no one ever called me anything but Megan except my parents, and they called me really weird nicknames that I'm not going to tell the entire, <laughs> everybody. But I got, I started dating my husband um, almost 12 years ago, and, like, immediately after I started dating him, people called me Meg, and I have heard every single Family Guy joke in the world. <laughs> We actually made fun of you last episode during Angel, too. Of course you did. I, I can't comment on anything on any articles without someone immediately replying, shut up, Meg. And I'm like, that's <laughs> awesome. We just claimed that Angel had a Meg Griffin tattoo. <laughs> but, um, yeah, actually, <laughs> even the house that I'm recording in, the resident suggested that I exclusively refer to you as Ron, which is another, a very... It's, it's, it's a pretty subtle Family Guy joke, I think. <laughs> Not if your name is Meg Griffin. <laughs> yeah, Meg, we get it. You're a guy. <laughs> but reeling it back in, the title of this episode that we're doing today is I, Robot, You, Jane, which is an obvious reference to, well, I think two things. I want to say Tarzan, because yes, me, Tarzan, you, Jane, and then also I, Robot. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I didn't even catch iRobot for some reason. But I don't. Was that movie out yet? I don't think so. Well, it was a book. Well, it's first. a book. It was, was it? It was a yeah. Was Shia in the book? Was Shia in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember it. Anyway, <laughs> I only thought of iRobot because I didn't feel like writing iRobot Eugene, so I've just been writing iRobot on stuff. But yeah, it was a book. Who wrote it? Was I think it Isaac. Asimov? It was Isaac Asimov. Oh, I didn't even know that at all. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. He did the... Yeah, I knew that. I knew <laughs> you that. uncultured swine. <laughs> he did the <laughs> principles of robotics. I knew that. But, but this episode actually has no vampires. Not even Angel. Yeah, That's not a true. single 
That would be the first one, except maybe Teacher's Pet. This is the third one. That doesn't have vampires? Yes. Witch didn't either. Witch and We're Teacher's Pet. We're eight episodes in. Yep. Wasn't Angel and Witch and Teacher's Pet? Or no? There was, I don't know. I wrote down, wrote down there was three. I did my research. I can't remember which, though. <laughs> did you do your research? <laughs> so anyway, we start off with our uh, In Every Generation speech, of course, which every episode except two lonely ones this season start off with. And then the actual episode itself begins in a castle in Italy, Cortona, Italy, in 1418. I have a question for you both. Uh, during the Italian scenes, was there any subtitles for you guys? No! No, I thought Mine that was had, just me. I had subtitles. I thought that was just me that didn't have subtitles. Me too. I didn't understand it. I picked up a bit because I know like the smallest bit of French, which is very similar to Italian. So... Yeah. I picked up some bits, but no, I didn't. I I had subtitles, and it was basically, <laughs> "Do you love me? I love you. Do yeah. you really, really love me? I really, really love you." <laughs> I caught that. Yeah. So there's a young Italian man, Carlo. I caught that as well. He looks and... like a total creeper. <laughs> yeah, and there's a giant horned demon who looks great, by the way, for season one. Those prosthetics are awesome. Yeah. He's beautiful. I would love him. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> So he's a big horned demon, green, kind of scaly lizardy. Uh, Carlo appears to pledge his love to him before getting his neck snapped by him. Yeah, human death count one. He's so happy to have his neck snapped too. That's what's beautiful about it. <laughs> it's such a weird way of snapping his neck too. He just kind of like gingerly places his claw on top of his head and just twists like a it's like he's opening a jar of peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. Just... Except with less force. Yeah, I agree. Which I find impressive in a man. <laughs> <laughs> or a giant demon. Or a demon. But... I mean, okay, if you're going to nitpick. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was Netflix that didn't have the subtitles for this. Cause I distinctly remember reading it the first time I watched it. But watching back on Netflix, I'm like, what's going on? Where, See, where are my subtitles? It must be Canadian Netflix because oh. here in, in America... We we had the subtitles. <laughs> Interesting. So meanwhile, in a church or a monastery or some religious building, there is a circle of priests chanting, and they appear to be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Meg, trying to, well, I know what they end up accomplishing. I assume it's what they're trying to do. <laughs> and that is to trap the giant demon in a book using some sort of magic ritual. Like the page master. Yeah. And, okay... Everything about the scene I was in, I was watching, I'm, I, I have no idea what they're saying, but I'm in. I'm engrossed. They're, um, bas- they're basically saying the same thing as we hear later. Just, come to me, come to me, come to me. Do they say him by name? Do they name the demon in the scene? I believe they do. I think they do, yeah. I, we, I mean, we know that it's Moloch before the opening credits. Right. So they have to have said it at some point. Okay, in, see, I... In this scene, because Buffy doesn't say anything about it. Yeah, they don't say... They don't... Well, in English, they don't mention its name for quite a while, so they must <laughs> say it in this scene. Yeah. But yeah, so everything... Yeah, as I said, everything was going for it. I was in... I thought this was the best uh, cold open to any sh- episode so far, because I was just engrossed up until when the spell starts working, and we get this really <laughs> silly-looking special effect... Uh, it, it well, does... it's 1997. That's true. And they do bring it around. Like, I thought 
it going onto the pages of the book looked just fine. Just the demon itself screaming and then dissolving looked silly. And I'm like, you, I'm, I want to like you. <laughs> this is going good so far, but that, I'm like, ooh, hiccup. Okay, my biggest issue with all of this is why don't these monks throw the book in the fire? <laughs> that's so obviously next to them I mean because you know there's a, a demon I mean I can understand the whole don't burn books because uh, I love books but there's a demon in here I think they're from an era where they're just sick of books being burnt no they're religious it's the, they're, four, they're it's the 15th century books. though there's, there's a demon in it <laughs> if ever there's a time to burn a book it's when there's a demon trapped inside Instead of just saying, oh my god, I hope nobody opens this book ever again. <laughs> yeah. And so the head priest Which says, is what they say. Oh, is it? Because I was going to say, yeah. he says something, something, libre, something, something. And that yeah, he's book. He's like, so. basically, he's basically saying, god, hope no one ever opens this book for a very long time. Or like, god save whoever opens this book. And then they put it in the little... Um, trunk or whatever the box and then the next shot which is actually a beautiful transition um (laughs) when they put it in there and the next one is buffy opening it like oh this is gonna end well yeah buffy opening (laughs) it let's see how many years is that later that is 500 and a bit just under 580 579 years something like that yeah no i'm no italian but the text in the book doesn't look traditional to me (laughs) yeah it's demon speak (laughs) Yeah, it's like, (laughs) this is a computer-based episode. It's like the equivalent of downloading something into a bunch of code onto a book in the 15th century. Yeah, I guess so. But at school, yeah, Buffy uncovers the book, and Dave, next to her, (laughs) makes a comment. And my first reaction was, who the hell's that? I thought that was Xander for a second. Who is Dave? Dave. Yeah, she hands it to just Dave. Dave. Guys, don't you know Dave? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Dave. You've seen seven episodes so far, and you don't know Dave. Gosh, you haven't Dave. been paying attention. <laughs> he has a full name as per the Buffy yearbook. I can't remember what it is. His I first do. name is obviously David, but... David Kirby, named after Jack Kirby, and also Fritz, who we meet soon, is named Fritz Siegel after Jerry Siegel, who are both comic book creators. Interesting. Yeah, I'm the best. Anyway... Wow, she's... Mr. Universe, I'm thoroughly impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so... Giles tells Buffy to add the book to a heap that Willow has been trying to duplicate onto a computer. Preserve, I suppose. Yeah, but no, I mean preserve. Like, she's trying to create copies on the computer so that the physical archive is the one. I was going to say, that's called scanning still. (laughs) (laughs) But Giles tells her to skim it or scan it as a random hot teacher interjects. That's Uh, Miss Calendar. Who's we kind later, of a she, yeah, <laughs> we later find out it's Miss Calendar, uh, Nikki Calendar, as the script says, or Jenny Calendar, as the series says. Who's yeah. mean to Giles every time she sees him? And uh, she was actually renamed Nikki because everyone called Nicholas Brendan Nikki on set, and they didn't want to make it confusing. That's what uh, I call. It. But she's played by Robia Lamore, and she's kind of the new age foil to Giles, I think, in his old fashionedness. They kind of made him. She's kind of like the techie Giles. The, yeah. Um, and since I'm this is totally a, team Giles. <laughs> since this is a fairly major character, let's give her a little introduction. You may know Robia Lamore from not wanting anything to do with Buffy the Vampire Slayer ever again. 
Yeah. She's uh, a born-again Christian. Yeah, somewhere in the late 90s, early 2000s, she got stranded on a highway, prayed for a sign for God, from God, rather, got in a run-in with a Christian biker gang and became a very, very adamant born-again Christian. Uh, and she despises Buffy the Vampire Slayer for its portrayals of witchcraft. And she's generally, for people like us, a not very friendly person to be around. Wow, so, I did uh, not know that. <laughs> I did not know that there were Christian biker gangs. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? But... <laughs> Yeah, I thought I would be the bad guy here by saying I'm not the biggest fan of Miss Calendar, but I guess not. It seems everyone's in I agreement. I like Miss Calendar. She's I, not I, a nice lady, but she's she's mean to Giles. She's too sassy to my Giles. She's and she's mean to him in every scene. It's not like we get like a little buffer where they kind of we get to know her a little bit before she's basically dissing Giles and his love of books. And I'm a book lover entirely, so I'm immediately like. Excuse me, lady. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to not say what I was gonna think, <laughs> what I actually said to the TV when I first saw this. <laughs> but she was mean to Giles, and he's like my favorite character. So, anyway, uh, Miss Calendar and Giles politely discuss the merit of modern technology when a random kid we don't know yet interjects way too forcefully and angrily and says probably my favorite line in the series. He has, uh, he has feelings and he wants to express them. Highlights include the only reality is virtual and if you're not jacked in, you're not alive. Hey, he is speaking for our children's generation. Jacked in? <laughs> if you look at Twitter and Facebook, that's the only reality that matters. He was a prophet. <laughs> yeah, he's really obnoxious. It really bothers me. Gets under my skin quite a bit, too. He's terrifying. I hate him so much immediately. And then uh, Miss Calendar calls him Fritz, which levels... It makes another level of hate, I think. Just by the name. Well, no, I feel... I Actually, that was when I warmed up to him, because I'm like, oh, he's had a rough home life. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly his parents didn't love him. <laughs> I, feel, I feel this episode's like here to teach... I feel like it's almost preachy. Like technology is the future, and it's okay. It's it's gonna be fine. And mm. see, my I got kind of the opposite. I felt like it was kind of a PSA against um, oncoming technology. Because if you think about 1997, I don't know how old you guys were in 1997, but I feel like I'd be depressed if you told me. <laughs> <laughs> But in 1997, I remember, I mean, I remember before there was internet, I remember in 1997 when we first got our computer and internet and going into chat rooms and stuff like that when I was like a preteen. And the the whole, it was creepy. <laughs> I think we can talk about that a little more later on. But the, yeah, I've, I kind of feel like it's a, the opposite of being like, yeah, technology is not scary because... In this episode, technology is terrifying. Yeah. I think I can just say, uh, this, this will give you enough of a hint, is that I don't remember a time without internet. Not really. Oh my I God. remember I remember <laughs> us not having internet. This makes me feel old and decrepit, so thanks, guys. Yeah. Any, <laughs> anytime, come back anytime. That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh... I'm not that old, I promise. 
Giles remarks, I'll be back in the Middle Ages, and sassy Miss Calendar says, did you ever leave? Oh, it bothers me. It bugs me oh. that she said that. She doesn't say it like a joke. She says it dead serious. But it's... Like, she's so mean. <laughs> I like it. She says it behind his back, too. Like, like she doesn't think he's going to turn around and look at her. Whatever. I'll hang out in the Middle Ages with Giles. Miss Calendar can go off in her world. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Willow's scanning stuff to the computer. And Scanomatic is the worst and oldest program ever. It's Scanomatic. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And she scans the demon to the computer. I have yeah. to say, I'm really impressed with Willow's scanning abilities. Yeah. Um, because steady hand. Clearly, it had to be a very steady hand because those hand scanners uh, are horrible. <laughs> yeah. And let me uh, just date myself again. You guys, I'm only thirty. Let <laughs> me <laughs> throw that out there. <laughs> but yeah, she scans the document and it disappears from the page and appears on the computer. The text "Where am I?" appears in the computer screen. I just want to say at this point. I really want to like this episode. <laughs> I, there are but some things, things like I this like make about it, it hard. There are things I really do like about this episode, um, but they're not very I'd say plentiful, I guess. There are things that I really enjoy about this episode, and there's things that I really don't enjoy, but as a whole, it's an absolute joy. I'm so happy to be <laughs> reviewing this episode. And Meg, you picked this episode yourself. To come on, you chose it. Me? Yes, you did. I know. Well, I gave you like a list, and like everyone else took all these other ones. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll take I Robot You, Jane, because I like talking about bad things just as much as I like talking about great things. And yeah. see, that's I mean, the big difference between you and One Sick Puppy is because he specifically requested to not be on the pack, and that's why we put him on it. <laughs> I would have loved to have talked about the pack. I'm not going to lie. That, I mean, I'm a relative, uh, relatively new person in the Buffyverse. I mean, I love Joss Whedon, and I, I mean, Firefly is the greatest show in the world to me. Here, here. Um, here, here. And I should have been watching Buffy when it was coming out, because I'm only a couple of years younger than the Scooby gang. But for some reason, I didn't watch it. And I finally got convinced to in the past, like, six months, and I watched all of them immediately. Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing you live-tweet it. <laughs> yeah, I have been live-tweeting seven seasons 15 years later. I managed to remain unspoiled over everything except Angel. Oh, wow. And I remained totally unspoiled about the rest of it, so I was very entertaining to people who had seen the show before. Yeah, and Meg actually used to scan books as well back in the 90s with her scanomatic, <laughs> hoping uh, she could instant message the characters later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just looking for a boyfriend in all the books. I was too busy scanning like Jane Austen, though. <laughs> I need to get the demon men. <laughs> so a week later... Uh... Buffy is questioning Willow about not answering her calls, girl. And Willow confides that, pretty readily actually, that she just decided to start up an online relationship with a boy named Malcolm. It just happened. Her locker has a picture of her and Giles in it. Like, standing together. It's so cute. That's <laughs> what else is adorable is the days you, that you couldn't be on the phone and the internet at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. I didn't think about that, but I guess dial-up is probably what they were referring to. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like stalkers and perverts in the 90s were really dedicated because it took forever to get online. This episode <laughs> is so dated. <laughs> it's, but it's beautiful for people who remember that because I remember that stuff. They enter class to Dave talking to his computer screen. Yeah. I, he, I don't know why. He just says a single thing. I think he says yes. Yeah. Or something along the lines. And this episode gives computer geeks a bad rep because they're making them all crazy and weird. So, Miss Calendar enters, nicely asks Buffy to wrap it up. Who does not wrap it up? As, She's wigged as, out about the online dating. As Willow gets a sweet little message from Malky. And call the catfish team because I feel like Willow really needs to find out who this guy really is. She's buying into him too easily. Oh, yeah. yeah. But this was back. The internet dating was ridiculous. I I went in chat rooms at like I was twelve years old. <laughs> I used to say I was like a twenty-two year old chick, and it's weird. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's sketchy now, but it was even more ridiculous. I don't even know where we were anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I go off on tangents. That's okay. We're part of the Tangent Bound Network. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so Buffy tries to warn Willow about the dangers of rushing headfirst into a relationship with someone who she has absolutely no idea who they are. <laughs> Somebody's watching them, but they're terrible <laughs> quarter of a megapixel webcam quality. Which is yeah. totally appropriate. And then <laughs> it zooms in on Buffy with as high resolution as it's possibly going to get in 97, scans the school records, and now we got some interesting facts on Buffy's school records. She was born uh, October 24th, 1980. Her GPA mm. is 2.8. She has only one absence, which shocked me. Actually, I want to discuss the inconsistencies, because that's not quite say, true. It goes, it goes back and forth. I There's mean, three different things it says. It's first it says, when he's scrolling through the list, we see that she's a senior. Her birthday is October 24th, 1980, and her GPA is 3.4 with one absence, which is spelled wrong. And then it also says no athletic, so she must have dropped out of cheerleading for good. But... When he pulls up the file, the birthday stays the same, but now it says she's a sophomore with a two-point date, and absences are spelled differently, but still wrong. And then the computer sends the file to another student, and when he pulls it up, she's a senior again, but her birthday says May 6, 1979, and absences are spelled right. So every single time it's different. Well, she's she's, sophomore, I think yeah. she it goes from sophomore born in 1981 to senior born in 1979 when he goes like into an office or whatever. And then it goes back to another date of birth still saying she's a sophomore. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure Joss Whedon said her date of birth is like January 19th. Yeah, he did. So is this is all official wrong. Buffy date of birth, which is amazing. It's all in one episode, too. Yeah, all in within 10 seconds of each other. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that was really cool... Uh, I don't know why it's the case, but, uh, you know, the the little our virus demon here sends the school records to Fritz. But right before it pops up on a screen, there is a folder on his desktop that says Buffy ellipses iRobot. Yeah, the script to this episode. So it might have been their actual computer on set that they they used and that this just happened to be caught on there. I think if we, I was looking on IMDb and that actually was like a, an error that it wasn't supposed to be on there. It was actually part of the actual production. That's wow. <laughs> yeah, Fritz is a nutcase because he's on the other side receiving orders when he says being told to watch Buffy because she knows 
too much. Oh, Fritz. <laughs> I feel like Fritz and I are going to be good friends. <laughs> then He'd be the Lou. kind of guy I'd hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> You'd jack in with him. That sounds relevant. Hey, if you're not jacked in, you're, <laughs> you're not, not living. <laughs> but uh, we cut back to Willow talking about a little bit of backstory about her boy, Malcolm Black. He's 18. He lives in Elmwood, which is not far from Sunnydale. And they discuss the possibility of a hairy back. Yeah, Buffy talks about how she doesn't know anything about him and he might have a hairy back, which Willow gets pretty defensive about. He doesn't <laughs> he talk like, like someone. <laughs> I'm wow. curious about what someone with how what someone with a hairy back talks like. I feel like we need to make a study. Just ask Fritz. <laughs> oh, so, Fritz. Miss Calendar questions Fritz about the unusual amount of time that uh, Dave and Fritz are spending on the school computers, and he says, "Way too quickly. New project. Will I be excited? You'll die. So deadpan. It's like not like a." <laughs> and it makes me mad how aggressive he is about everything he does. <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like Fritz is just not someone we're gonna we should get too attached to. He's a jacked in junkie. <laughs> hey, uh, the only the... reality <laughs> is virtual reality. <laughs> virtual reality. <laughs> so meanwhile, the demon messes with someone's history report. Next step, the world. <laughs> <laughs> the worst laptop ever on the steps of Sunnydale High. It's a netbook. It's uh, I remember that laptop. Looks like a calculator. <laughs> But yeah, Nazi Germany was, what, the ideal form of government or something? I didn't write that. <laughs> well, it's interesting because all that stuff is really... That's one actually really interesting thing about this episode is all these weird things that keep happening are weaved in in kind of the background. Yeah. But just, how, but... This reminds me so much of the net. <laughs> <laughs> I just think of the idea of just this demon when he's bored just messing with people's like <laughs> history reports... And, like, thinking, like, I'm one step closer to taking over the world. Well, he's he's baby steps. I mean, <laughs> he's been trapped in a book for I 600 years. I inconvenienced this kid by making him slightly rewrite his history. <laughs> yeah. Take that, society! <laughs> Things have changed since the 15th century. <laughs> yeah. So Xander outside tells Willow that she's going to miss out on all the fun. For not going to the bronze because, well, he's planning to be witty and he's going to make fun of all the people who won't talk to him. <laughs> Which is a very Xander line. It's actually reminiscent of a line from the unaired animated series pilot where Xander's like, I'm going to be wearing my dancing shoes and my standing in the corner not talking to anyone t-shirt. Yeah. I love Xander. I know people. a lot of people have a problem with Xander, but Xander's I just love him. He's just an everyman. He makes mistakes, and he's he's kind of... I mean, he grows on you like a fungus, just like he said. <laughs> yeah, and I I feel like I never disliked him. And some people dislike him from the bat. But he's really... You know, he's a teenage boy when he's a teenage boy, and then when he's an adult, he's an adult. He's just the real person in this series. He yeah, reminds he's... me of my husband, I guess that <laughs> might be why I like <laughs> But uh, he's he's pretty wigged about Malcolm, too. And we use wigged a lot more in this podcast than probably any other podcast just because it's 90s slang and now we're hearing it, so it's becoming part of our normal conversation. I don't use that in real life well, I, at all. I do on when we're talking on the episodes. <laughs> I totally don't ever say wigged. Did you in the 90s? No. <laughs> yes, I 
Yes. <laughs> wigged out was, yes. I still say wigged from time to time <laughs> because I'm a product of the 90s. <laughs> so Xander accuses, or rather Buffy accuses Xander of jealousy. He says she's got color in her cheeks, bounce in her step. It's not healthy. <laughs> but he does deny that he's jealous, which honestly, it Maybe it's the way well, that Nikki's reading the line. It doesn't feel like he's jealous. <laughs> he, he doesn't deny that he's jealous. He's jealous, but he's not jealous in the way that Buffy yeah. is implying. I mean, he's jealous that he's not, like, her go-to guy or whatever, yeah. not the main guy in her life, but he's not jealous in a romantic sense. He's not jealous that he wants to be Willow's boyfriend. It feels, honestly, like he's just more jealous that... He's going to the bronze alone tonight. Like, he's just <laughs> bummed by that fact. Like, all my friends are girls, and they're all doing girly stuff. Yeah, let's, let's point out for a moment that Xander and Buffy are right. <laughs> In this scene, when Willow's, <laughs> you know, going on like, oh, it's why are you guys so upset at me? No, they have a reason. You know, you're IMing this guy you've never seen. You don't. You just know his name and what he's told you. And this is like right now, nowadays – there's better ways to verify. Back then, you couldn't verify anything. So I would say that, that Buffy and Xander are in the right for being skeptical, and Willow is being very uncharacteristically dumb because she's in love. Well, so and this is, the, this is the part that reminds me of when the, the PSA I was talking about that's like, don't talk to strangers on the internet. Um, yeah. It was... It was this is basically like a word-for-word word PSA, this conversation <laughs> that they have, where Xander is just like, this guy could be anybody. He could be some creeper in high school. And Bobby's like, well, you're I a guy her. in high school. It's like, but I could yeah. be a Dutch woman. Yeah. An elderly goes, Dutch woman. <laughs> conversation goes, uh, you know, he could claim, he sure he says he's in high school, but I could say I'm in high school. You are in high school, but I could say I'm an elderly Dutch woman. And because I'm in the elderly Dutch woman chat room, no one could disprove it. Which is a good point. point. <laughs> but he also, uh, Buffy starts speculating he could be crazy or he could be... Uh, weird or old. Weird or old. Or a circus freak. And then she, I like this because so often in the past, look at the pack, look at Teacher's Pet, Buffy ro- jumps to a random conclusion and she is right. And it's ridiculous, there's no reason she should assume that the teacher is a praying mantis or that her friends are possessed by hyenas... But hey, she jumps every to Tuesday. And she's right. And so the fact that she jumps to the conclusion that Willow is about to be axe murdered by a circus freak <laughs> is very refreshing. <laughs> Actually, Xander is the one who jumps to the axe murder. So give yeah. credit where credit's due. Xander is the one who <laughs> say that they meet on the net, they talk, they get together, they have dinner, a show, horrible axe murder. <laughs> Don't take Xander's moment away. <laughs> I suppose. So the next scene... Major trigger warning, by the way, for people with self-harm issues. And that's not a joke. This is That was dead serious. Yeah. This is actually a trigger warning. But, France... I have to say, by the way, though the trigger warning, yes, that does apply. This, I didn't write any notes at all regarding this, but it's probably my favorite scene in the history of Buffy the Vampire <laughs> It's so dumb. And it's, it's a weird thing. It's just Fritz being normal. It's just Fritz being a Another normal day in the guy. Life of Fritz. Hanging out in the computer lab <laughs> in the school I'm that desperately in. needs new in. light bulbs. Yeah. But yeah, he mumbles, I'm jacked in, but four times as he carves an M into his arm. Which is for Meg. Which that's where the trigger warning comes in. The scene is kind of so ridiculous it's funny until you see what he's doing and you're like, that's messed up. With a scalpel, which he has. 
Yeah. But, you know, there's actually a lot in this episode that feels like there should be a trigger warning once we get a little bit further in. But, yeah, I yeah. agree. The, this yeah. is a pretty dark for for this point in Buffy. This is a pretty dark episode. Well, damn that kid to hell, really. He annoys me so much. Uh, and next day, Willow overslept till fifth period. And that's not the Willow I know. Willow. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Willow drops the boyfriend bomb finally, saying that she was talking to Malcolm all night. And that she implies, or not implies, she straight up says that He's her boyfriend, which, uh-oh. I love Willow in this scene. It says, so get off my back. Like, she's just full-on supervillain. <laughs> Buffy's trying so hard to be like, I just want to be a part of your life. Buffy's like a little mom Buffy right now. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like Willow's like, I learned it from watching you. And... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but Willow's so smart, but she's just so dumb sometimes. And this episode, I think, is where she's dumb. And we actually mentioned a couple episodes dumb. back. I don't know if it's dumb so much as it is naive. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, as a as a high school girl who didn't have a lot of attention thrown at her, I could, I mean. You were Willow? I was not Willow. Uh, I had the wrong attention yeah, you were thrown Malcolm. at me in high school. <laughs> I was Malcolm. I was you creeping on the internet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was jacked in, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I know what you mean, I guess. But I I mean, she's 15, 16 years old. She's pretty naive as far as all that goes. If you remember how you were at that age. Yeah. Love um, makes you do the wacky. And yeah, also well, Mr. Universe. Uh last episode I was siding with logic and you were siding with love. So yeah, I think okay. in this situation you would side with logic. No, I'm not siding with Willow in this instance. That's not <laughs> <laughs> Just let her love her internet man. Yeah, I was funny with love because I like Angel. You know, it, <laughs> there's more to it. You know, I... Are you, are you, are you all Bangel? Yeah. I'm Bangel. That's me. I, I ship it so hard. I talked about it all last episode. We said the word <laughs> gentlemanly more than I've ever said in my life. <laughs> well, you know, if it, when it comes to broody stalker vampires, I guess Angel's pretty good. And Willow says something in the scene rattles me so much. She says, oh, I, I don't want to say it, but Malcolm said you wouldn't understand. Oh, don't say stuff like that. That really bothers me. That's like Fight Club. You, it bothers me because it reminds me of 16-year-old Mr. Universe. <laughs> okay, I don't... That's probably why it bothers me, too. <laughs> it bothers me because it was such a t- it's such a typical thing for a teenage girl to say and do. Like if your friends don't agree with you, yeah, like me. When it comes to your boyfriend, you always pick the boyfriend over your friends at fifteen. I don't care what they say with the bros before hoes or the what is it, sisters before misters. <laughs> women are so much more respectful. <laughs> but because Willow was actually skipping school, she she admits that she was blowing off a few periods instead of sleeping until fifth period. Yeah. And Buffy's like, "That's not like you." And she goes, "Well, Malcolm said you wouldn't understand." Buffy's like, well, he's right. Does the finger snap and walks <laughs> away. <laughs> so Buffy asks uh, Dave, who's in the computer lab. She spooks him. She, yeah, if he can help find out Malcolm's real identity. I love this little exchange because she says she asks, can you trace... Basically, someone sends you an email, can you tra- trace the IP address? The correct answer so is hard. yes. 
It's so hard. <laughs> Easily. It's such a challenge. <laughs> Did you right click on the email? And then unless it's from Gmail, you can see which IP address it's sent from because Gmail's a cheater. But my, he, all my his notes responses. for this. Go ahead. All, all my notes for this scene is oh, IP addresses are a challenge. Dave is jumpy. <laughs> That's all I have written for this scene. He, he answers her question by not answering her question at all and saying. If we know his username, we can find his profile, which really, really... He also that's... blinks really fast. I don't know if either of you noticed that. He does it a lot. He totally does. And Buffy made a really good point, though. She's like, well, he can create his own profile and say whatever he wants. So yeah. thanks so for nothing, tries, Dave. <laughs> she tries to restate her initial question again. Can we find the IP of this guy? And he said, what you said earlier, it's a challenge. <laughs> So he gets real real mad when she tells him what he's, she's trying to do, and she jumps to the correct conclusion that Dave is Malcolm. But he de- no, he denies it. He says, of course not. <laughs> he's not. He's obvious. We know who Malcolm is at this point. It's really obvious. Yeah. And Giles, in the library, has no, uh, no advice for Buffy except for maybe to follow Dave. Which she jokes, oh, yeah followed Dave in a trench coat and dark glasses. I can figure this out. And then we cut to her following Dave in dark glasses and a trench coat. I got, I laughed at that. I like that. In defense of Giles, he has a childlike terror. Of computers. Of computers. <laughs> and I can totally understand that. The future. <laughs> Egg's actually recording this on a book. Yes, I am. I'm recording this. I should be so much more tech savvy than I am. <laughs> But I'm not at all. Especially after this episode. Yeah. It lays it on you. This, You could reprogram a computer after this. I should be able to just through osmosis. Just gain <laughs> all of this. I'm going to be possessed by a demon if I watch this episode too many more times. <laughs> but Buffy's following Dave at this point in time at least. And he ends up at a company called CRD. And... They let him in before Fritz spots Buffy on a security cam. No. Being think, all creepy. I think someone else who is currently unknown spots her on a security cam, sends the feed to Fritz and says, kill her. Well, I think Fritz needs a hug. I think he would get really aggressive if you gave him a hug. <laughs> I feel like he needs a friend. He needs, he needs a big Dave. brother. He needs someone to play basketball with him after school. (laughs) (laughs) Or he needs a demon, because that's what he really wants, is to just be possessed. You're not jacked in. (laughs) You're not alive. And he just storms off, (laughs) gets on his heelys and rolls away. (laughs) I forgot that those existed. I don't think they existed in 1997. I think we need to give it a couple more years for Elise. <laughs> so Buffy goes... <laughs> Buffy goes to the library. <laughs> where Giles and Xander are just kicking it like bros. Yeah, what were they doing? <laughs> they weren't researching, were they? They don't get a lot of on-screen interaction, and maybe they noticed this. But uh, Xander happens to know what the place is. Calax Research and Development. So good for him. He knew something. Well, his uncle was a janitor there. His uncle Rory. Not named yet, but he is brought up quite a few times. 
I don't think I know what any of my uncles do for a living. He was so proud of his knowledge. <laughs> he, he, even, he even said, oh, look, I have knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Just let him have his moment. <laughs> hey, why are you ripping on Xander so much this episode? Why can't you just let him have his... his? Because I see a reflection of myself in him. <laughs> I can't let we myself have, have We have things. a gem like Z- uh, Fritz to rip on and you're digging into poor Xander. <laughs> <laughs> He's just trying to protect his friend. <laughs> but Buffy is concerned that something's going on because CRD closed down. They, they haven't announced a reopen. And her spider sense is tingling, which she points out it's a pop culture reference to Spider-Man, to Giles. Which... It's funny because last episode, the master does the with great power speech. Yeah. <laughs> well, Spidey hat. I feel like Giles should know about Spider-Man because he has been around for a while. I mean, I get that we keep redoing his origin story, but it's not new. <laughs> yeah, and Spider-Man's books. Like, what's he got against comic books? God yeah. damn Giles. <laughs> but uh, Jenny Calendar shows up, and uh, you kids really dig the library, huh? <laughs> and Xander responds to read makes our speaking English good. They're very literary. <laughs> and then they leave, and Xander explains that he panicked. Willow <laughs> actually starts to become suspicious of Malcolm because during her conversation, he reveals that he knows Buffy was kicked out of her old school. It's not really a reveal. He just kind of offhandedly says it. He's like, you're not supposed to know that. And he's talking to her like Siri. Like, it's not <laughs> just typing. It responds back like Siri would. It's text to talk. <laughs> but I have to say, he was way more, like, he was way smoother on the show than, like, text to talk ever was and, and still is in real life. Yeah. He had too much inflection. It should have been like, well, I know Buffy was kicked out of school. <laughs> and <Yeah>. that's... <laughs> I'm glad I got to perform that for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> she was practicing it all day. I have Real been. reason she went home from work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sick. I just wanted to perfect that horrible <laughs> sentence for you guys. <laughs> but were those... She's. I was trying to think of a 90s term that's not wigged, couldn't. She was creeped out. Um, <laughs> so she logs off. No, she turns off her monitor. She doesn't that's, turn uh, off her computer. And all-in-ones met- weren't invented for another 10 years or so. <laughs> let's get meta for a second and analyze Mr. Universe's sentence. I tried to think of a 90s term that wasn't wigged. <laughs> I'm, I tried to skate by that, actually. <laughs> tried to pretend I didn't hear that. I didn't say that. I don't know what you're talking but about. But actually, I mean, like, some of the first computers were kind of all-in-ones, where if you just pressed and held on the same button and turned all of it down at once, my grandparents had one. <laughs> yeah, Miss Calendar, back in the library, they're <laughs> arguing uh, about books versus computers again. That's the theme of the episode. And... One thing she says, only a handful of white guys can get at books, which I understand the need for, like, digitization and like, technology, but let's not make it racial or sexist. <laughs> well, I feel like if you go into a lot of inner cities, there's not going to be a whole, in 97, there's not going to be a ton or a whole bunch of computers hanging out in public libraries in the inner cities of, like, Chicago. <laughs> Speaking of, why was Fritz in the library in the first scene? That's where you get jacked in. 
There was a computer there, and he you gravitated. <laughs> it wasn't like now where you had Wi-Fi, where you could just log into the internet anywhere. You had to be plugged into he, a phone line. He seems to prefer the, the the computer lab. So was he just he he was nearby, and he needed He's probably, a quick fix. He was probably doing extra credit to be creepy by scanning all those occult documents. I gotta say, though, the Sunnydale High School Library is, like, the hotbed for all occult books. It's amazing how many they (laughs) get there. But really, how do you know that your high school library didn't have just as many and you just weren't looking in the right places because it didn't matter to you? (laughs) I kind of lived in my high school library. (laughs) And I was into vampires before they were cool. So, I feel like I would have seen something. Actually, more accurately, concurrently while they were cool, but independently. Of the yes, fact. apparently because I did not, I was not in the Buffy zone when it was on television. I remember actually seeing commercials for it for like next week on Buffy. I'm like, oh, I should watch that. And I never did. <laughs> My thoughts on Fritz is actually, I think at the beginning, it seemed like the computer science class was helping out set up the new system for Giles. That might have been, yeah. Because they do mention later that he's got a new system. So that's what I took out of it, but I'm not, eh, they never explain it. But uh, yeah, they debate. He's jacked in. Yeah, he's jacked in. So they debate again, Calendar and Giles. Calendar v. Giles. Verbal sparring. But both are actually kind of valid points i think like both of them are i can agree with both sides in this epic rap battle (laughs) i can understand how it's not mutually exclusive to enjoy technology and still kind of hold on to what you have yeah As, as far as having knowledge accessible the internet's amazing for that but i still don't feel like anything is better than having a book in your hands i mean i have my kindle and all that other stuff but i still love the feel of a book so i can totally understand that and uh giles or i guess they discover a book and they find it's empty giles is confused until he sees the cover he gets pretty spooked he realizes what's going on and i love his dialogue here because he's like distracted so he's like nice talking to you she's like oh we were fighting like must do it again sometime (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love Giles. <laughs> so, uh, outside of the school, Dave tells Buffy that Willow wants to talk to her and that Willow's in the girls' locker room. And so Buffy enters the girls' locker room and discovers Willow is showering. Wow. It's a totally normal place to meet. I mean, after also, she... <laughs> yeah, but also in the background uh, of the last scene with Dave, there's a boy in the background caught my eye with a weird, like, he's got like a Chelsea Hawk mullet thing it's like a mohawk <laughs> but like with bangs it looks really weird <laughs> well and this we hear about like some kid who the nurse didn't her his medical file didn't say that he was allergic to penicillin as she like walks by <laughs> yeah and i, I didn't, didn't notice even... that until you pointed out that that it has to do with you know messing with the technology that's like the most interesting part to me <laughs> of this whole episode is because they talk about, like, when you talk about now security systems all being online, but how being analog again is more secure because people can change anything they want to on the internet, and that's kind of what this reminded me of. This Wikipedia, and, the episode. This and the net with Sandy Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Fritz is uh, in the bathroom. He's on the Fritz. Fritz is causing problems by turning on the shower, making Buffy think Willow's showering. 
And uh, bad stuff always happens when a shower is running. So she in a really know. dark room. <laughs> bad stuff is always. Ha- Do you shower? Well, I mean, in <laughs> media, not in real life. <laughs> but, uh, bad stuff happens when you clean yourselves. But uh, Dave warns Buffy last second as a wire sparks into the water. And why was he even in the girls' bathroom or locker room rather? They what a both were. But well, yeah, they... but Fritz had a reason. He was being an assassin. Dave but, had a reason, But too. Dave is the one who sent her there. He knew Willow wasn't in there. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He seemed pretty twitchy when he's like, oh, yeah. I mean, how would Dave know Willow was in the girls' locker room? And I'm what sorry. Buffy, Buffy needs to, like, hone her spidey sense. Because when you go into a locker room and only, like, a quarter of the lights are lit in the locker room <laughs> and nobody is in there... Turn around. <laughs> what if what if she went in the locker room, Willow was in there, and it just completely foiled their assassination attempt? <laughs> oh, hi, but, Buffy. Uh, of course it would be a tech-related assassination attempt. That really bugs me. <laughs> when they try to electrocute her. And it burns the bottom of her shoes, but doesn't kill her. That's and, what really bugs you about this episode? <laughs> well, one of many things. <laughs> And later, Dave goes back to the computer lab and he wimps out. Oh, this computer. is my favorite. I love he this. He says he can't uh, do it anymore. And, the and computer... then Hal 9000 says, but you promised, Dave. Not Buffy. I, <laughs> I, I loved that so much because I didn't realize how much he sounded like Hal 9000 from 2001, you know, from Space, 2001 Odyssey. Space Odyssey until he started saying Dave. <laughs> 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 like, I've given you everything, Dave. I didn't even Ow. think about that until just now. <laughs> yeah, that's, I didn't catch that either. And Mal 1000. <laughs> <laughs> but Dave, wimping out, the the computer decides to write up a suicide note for him, and that's so dark, that's dark. and messed up. That is not okay. It's yeah, such was... a touchy subject even today. So to well, have it back in the 90s, that's just like, whoa. It's, it's, well, the out. thing is, is it's touchier today than it was in the 90s. Um, you didn't hear so much about teen suicide in the 90s as much as you're hearing today. There just wasn't as much awareness or anything like that. So I feel like if, if they aired Buffy today, there's no way they could have aired what they do yeah. here but in the 90s it was not like a as much of a hot button topic as it is now yeah because teen suicides didn't get that much attention to be honest yeah but, and but that's so dark seeing someone write up your own suicide note that's so ominous like what's going through his head he knows what's going to happen i'd be running yep. i wouldn't just like slowly back away from the computer screen i'd be where just... fritz is standing <laughs> yeah, i wouldn't like go and run to hug fritz and be like save me crazy i thought fritz. you wanted to hug fritz I, no fritz needs a <laughs> hug i'm not gonna give it to him but he needs one <laughs> but uh quite the scene change because right after this ominous fritz uh voyeur show uh xander as the scene transition says, I'm going to kill Dave. Oh. <laughs> I like that transition, though. It was dumb. But I liked it. <laughs> uh, and Buffy's hair is pretty frizzy in this scene. Uh, Xander says it's her best hair ever in a very Whedonism type of talking, way of talking. I love that that's what she's really concerned about at this point is what her hair looks like. Yeah. 
And I like, well, what I kind of like, though it's not a big deal, is her hair's like a little frizzy, but it's not like over the top exaggerated frizzy like they do nowadays. It's, yeah. you know, they they messed not, it up, but it looks like natural frizzy. It's not sitcom frizzy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it looks natural frizzy. It looks like she got shocked pretty She got a, She has a natural frizz. But it's not like crazy teased. Yeah. Halo hair. <laughs> but Giles explains that uh, demons used to get locked in books and that this book that he found is Moloch the Corrupter, but the pages are blank. And demons can only be let out of the pages if the words are read aloud. So... Who wants to uh, to break the news? The who wants to make the corrupter joke? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we'll leave that to you. Clearly. I think I think it speaks for itself. <laughs> Moloch the corrupter, bad. <laughs> Moloch, he but, just uh, wants to be loved. He just wants to corrupt. No one understands him. <laughs> and, yeah, he draws people to him with the promise of knowledge or. Love, power, really, it sounds a lot like Malcolm, if you think about it. Moloch and Malcolm, I wonder if there's any correlation. Moloch? No. <laughs> it's a coincidence. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> How dare you insinuate that about Willow's boyfriend? Jeez. She met him on the internet. She knows enough. We've already established he's a circus freak. <laughs> <laughs> or an old Dutch woman. <laughs> or both. Ooh. Um, Buffy a twist tells Giles you released Moloch way to go which is the greatest reaction to all this yeah they both <laughs> decide you released him why would you do that but uh, Buffy using her power of guessing figures out that the demon was scanned to the computer and that's why he's living in the computer because she, whenever she guesses something it's dead on right well <laughs> yeah. they did a little bit of brainstorming I mean there's yeah. a uh, a skosh of trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> but you're and, mostly uh, right. <laughs> the best part about this is the uh, assumption that, oh, he's on a computer. Why don't we just delete him? <laughs> that, that, that's possible. And also, not just that he's on, like, it's not that he was scanned to the computer. They assume, and correctly assume, that he wasn't just scanned to the computer. He was scanned to the internet. <laughs> he's everywhere and cloud storage <laughs> and right now this episode buffy's figured out almost everything more than giles and that's supposed to be his job <laughs> but almost every episode buffy guesses guesses not figures out but guesses correctly the plot of the episode before giles can find it in his books <laughs> well so, she had she did have help from from xander at this time yeah i guess you like to credit him <laughs> i i love xander i don't care what anyone says He's my fun guy. <laughs> it's funny That's because right. in, I don't know if you listened to a review of probably, I think it's the second episode. He's wearing a shirt with mushrooms on it. He is. I know. And I love it. <laughs> but, uh, Buffy here, she can't delete the Willow file where she just, she decides that Moloch must be in Willow's file. This is hands down the dumbest thing I've seen. <laughs> she can't delete it. And then a bad resolution Moloch appears on the screen telling her no disassemble. <laughs> I'm honestly the surprised they had any video to play at all <laughs> at that point. Yeah, so Buffy remarks, that's what Malcolm looks like. <laughs> Giant pixelated. 
awesome dude. It's so preachy. Like, they talk about all the tragedies that could happen now that he's in the internet. Like, medical equipment could fail, traffic signals, missiles. And then Giles says, well, the economy could crash. Where Buffy responds, I think I pretty much capped it out with nuclear missiles. Yeah, yours was the best. But wait a minute. (laughs) The economy did crash. Y2K, you guys, was terrifying for so many people, and this was only a few years before Y2K. This is when people were, like, ramping up for Y2K. My dad was a programmer for Y2K, and he was working, like, nonstop to prevent the world from ending on New Year's Eve from 99 to Y2K. So the idea that people were, like, freaked out about all this stuff happening because of the internet is not unusual at all. <laughs> See, I was 7 or 8 during Y2K. I, I hate you so much. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I I remember then, like, hearing, like, you know, what's Y2K? Oh, people think that, you know, it's going to, you know, the, all the clocks are going to reset. They... 2000 isn't programmed in them, so people think the world's going to end, and I think that's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no one said it was, like, this foolproof thing, but it was a genuine, like, freakout that was happening all across across the world. Yeah. That people were freaking out about Y2K. My dad thought it was, the whole thing was or was ridiculous, I'm sorry for my language. Uh, My dad thought the whole thing was ridiculous, but that was his job, was to prepare... For Y2K. <laughs> yeah. Prepare for the oncoming apocalypse. Prepare for <laughs> The end is nigh. But, uh, but I... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're good. <laughs> I was going to go off into another tangent, so let's just... We can push through. <laughs> <laughs> so Buffy decides to check the computer lab while the boys, Giles and Xander, decide to check Willow's house because they're worried now that uh, Willow's dating a demon. Which, you Everyone know. has their faults. I mean, Everyone's Xander got their was dating an insect. <laughs> I don't know if he... I wouldn't call it dating. <laughs> Dan... Xander wanted an insect. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> but in the computer lab, all the computers turn on at once when Buffy walks in. And how do you think they rigged that in 97? Did they think people were underneath pressing the button at the same time? <laughs> and they just slowly booted up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they pressed the buttons and then started the cameras. And by the time it got up, then they all started up. But uh, Buffy bumps into a hanging a day of just hanging out, like hanging, like as yes. if he was hanged, yes. <laughs> with a note sta- or the note rather stapled to his chest. Was it stapled or pinned? Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure it was pinned. I'm pretty sure. I think Malik wouldn't have had the moxie to uh, get him to staple it. Well, knowing Fritz, uh, a probably... note to his own chest. <laughs> Fritz probably did something to it, like magnets. That's kind of techy. but uh human death counted too and that seems way too dark and messed up for a season one of buffy well i it's not even that the the humans died it's the way that they they died the way that dave died was really harsh and really dark i wonder if they hanged him with uh, an extension cable i feel like he would (laughs) have what else was there in the computer lab? a surge protector <laughs> but uh later in the library, uh Buffy tells everyone what happened and Xander says suicide with a little help from my friends, which is a very dark Beatles reference. It's almost as if Ringo wrote it. <laughs> yeah, Octopus's Garden, that's dark. Uh and Buffy tells Giles to ask Miss Calendar 
to help do the ceremony, but online. And already this will this will I was reading my next note. This episode is taking a downward spiral with a if you're doing a ritual online. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously typing stuff in it has the same effect as saying it out loud. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I think we established that when you could scan a demon into the internet. So <laughs> I think he's still there. <laughs> a little tangent, but I I miss the days of you've got mail. I do. <laughs> this episode brings me back to. <laughs> I miss the days of the movie you've got mail, where <laughs> the where the phrase you've got mail brings like happiness and not like terror. <laughs> I do not miss the days of waiting 10 minutes to get on the internet. (laughs) I'll tell you that. Going to Willow's house, uh, her parents aren't home, so the computer must have eaten them or something. I feel like you might have stopped traffic lights or something. Either way, it's a CTX brand computer when she logs in. (laughs) So Willow logs in to talk to Malcolm. And her, well, I don't think she logs in. I think she's doing something else, and the computer signs her in and talks to her because she only knows how to turn off the monitor. Right. It just turns on. She's like taking off her sweater or something like that. She's not getting undressed or whatever, but she's. Yeah. Strip show for Malcolm. <laughs> but it's a CTX brand computer, which is so old, it's not even around anymore. <laughs> if it ever was, if it's the real. But Malcolm wants Willow to see him. And then the doorbell rings, so of course Willow's chloroformed by a psychopath Fritz. It's not omnibus. 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 And this next part made me so excited. Just gloss over that pronunciation. (laughs) So next scene, Giles listening to a radio report kind of explaining the ritual. I got so excited because I recognized the voice immediately. It's Joss. Joss in an uncredited cameo. No, it was me, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jenny Callender shows up, and he he does not explain it, really. He tells her, well, there's a demon in the internet. And she says, I know. And at first I thought, she probably thought he was talking about a virus and thought he was just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> there's a demon in my box. <laughs> yeah. I love how nonplussed he was, though, by the fact that she's just like, I get it. He's so prepared. He's got all of his arguments lined up. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I get it. So, it's like, no. Do like, you no, get I, it? Really? <laughs> I, I had something to say. <laughs> <laughs> I had a whole speech. <laughs> and we find out that uh, CRD, or rather Buffy, assumes that CRD is Moloch Central. And they decided to check it out. And meanwhile, cutting back, because it's kind of a jumpy scene, Miss Calendar knows a lot about demons, actually. And Meg, what did you feel? I know you're not the biggest fan of Miss Calendar, like myself. What did you feel about this revelation? Like, were you shocked when you first saw this? Or were you like, oh? You know, I I wasn't like, oh, my God, this is so crazy. Because it's the Hellmouth, and there's nothing really that surprises me. about what people know but i do think it was really really odd that she took the whole thing in in such stride because everybody in sunnydale seems completely oblivious to all of the things that are happening around them it's like i mean even xander at some point earlier in the season says this is a pretty quiet town we're in one starbucks town or something like that and it's like um 
everyone dies. The fact that you have like the highest, the lowest mortality rate or something like that. Lowest Starbucks count. Yeah, that, I mean that kind of says something. So I was I was surprised, but I I didn't really get too I, like ah about it. I think the idea, I mean, it, it seems very Buffy. The idea of modernizing the witch essentially because the whole thing is mm-hmm. you know it's almost like a new punk teen like uh, turning on the head of old dusty horror movie tropes and so the fact you know like the first my first thought is like what a novel idea but also just the idea the, the term techno pagan is super cool by the way <laughs> but it never caught on in the real world <laughs> techno pagan that just that's like... fun to say that is fun to say. I'm, I mean, I guess I'm not. Wasn't really surprised that she knew stuff from the type of creatures that are drawn to the Hellmouth. I mean, it brought a Slayer there. <laughs> the fact that they both just like, oh, Moloch, why didn't we think of this? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we cut to uh, Willow at CRD with uh, Fritz and a scientist, a random scientist. I don't know what he's doing there, but. She's talking to Moloch, and he decides to show himself, which he looks the same as before, but made out of really dumb-looking metal and computer components. Dumb-looking? This is hands he's... down the coolest part of the episode. He's beautiful. I think it's, is... it's dumb that he looks <laughs> the same. So cool. The made he of worked computer hard. Parts. <laughs> Do you know how many people he compelled to come to that warehouse to build him? He worked so hard to do this, and you just throw his beautiful outfit away. <laughs> yeah, in my notes, I, I just feel wrote, bad for your future wife. <laughs> in my notes, I just wrote that's so cool. I am so hyped by this Robo Moloch. That imagine Moloch versus Robo Moloch, like a Godzilla thing. He looks so <laughs> badass. I am in love with that robot Moloch. It's oh, Stop laughing at me. It's cool. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> but what if Willow wasn't there? You know, what if, like, Buffy guessed right and she was lucky? But what if she went somewhere else, staked it out, staked it, there's the word again. <laughs> and you Willow did wasn't twice there. This episode. Yeah, I, I love your puns. <laughs> They're never intentional. Well, sometimes they're intentional. What if Willow was somewhere else and they just went to the wrong spot? <laughs> yeah, they they just did some quick deductive reasoning. Like that's where Buffy's gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> so they just don't go there. They could go literally anywhere in the city because if Buffy doesn't have any leads, where's she gonna look? <laughs> She's got spidey senses. <laughs> but a uh, Malik decides for no reason. To kill Fritz, and thank God because we. This is where we learn that Moloch's a hero and not a villain. <laughs> if if all Moloch needs is like love, don't you think Fritz would have been enough? Because clearly Willow is. Uh, she's uh, rebuffing. She's buffing him. <laughs> she's kind of backing off this relationship, I think, a little bit when her boyfriend ends up being a demonic robot. Which, I mean, kudos to her for recognizing it. <laughs> yeah, Robomolic totally, like, carloed him. Just, like... Yeah, that's human death count of three. And by the way, he's Robomolic. It's Fritz human. <laughs> that's an other death count. Does he count? <laughs> he was begging to die. <laughs> and later, back at the library, uh, 
Giles and Jenny, they need to form a circle to to perform the ritual, but they have to do it on, online. And this is my least favorite part of the episode. Jenny decides to ping all the people in her group to hope they respond so they can digitally somehow create a circle. Sorry, how much do you want to bet they respond with Pong when she pings them? Like the good old 90s. I would have just drawn a circle in Microsoft Paint. It's so convenient that they're all online at the same time and she didn't have to wait like 45 minutes at least for all of them to dial up (laughs) (laughs) to get to her chat room. So that really bothers me. It doesn't explain anything about how to form a circle online. (laughs) And she's lucky that she has friends that form a circle in around the United States. She's kind of lucky she has friends. <laughs> She's not a very nice lady. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But uh, Willow, once again, really should have catfished him because the, this meetup would be much less awkward if if they would have met that way. <laughs> uh, and Giles, back at the, the library, says, couldn't you just stop Moloch by entering some sort of computer virus? Where Jenny responds, you've seen too many movies, namely... Independence Day, because that's what they do. I don't know if Independence Day was out yet. I don't think Again, it was. Again, I'm no. going gonna, gonna to throw back like to the 06. net, because the net was out in like 1995, I think, and the whole up, uh, premise of the net was a virus totally erasing Sandra Bullock's life and identity and everything. Independence Day was a brand new movie at the time this came out, or about a year. So, yeah, it most likely was a reference to it. It's possible. God, that makes that makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, just you guys make me feel so old. <laughs> but Giles decides to read the incantations, or doesn't decide, he, he has to. And Jenny types it out, which is not cool, it's not modern, it's just bad. She also misspells a word. Ooh. Does she really? Uh, well, you don't see it, but he says that he corrects her oh. with the car- Carlos or whatever. Calais or something. Calais should be a K and not a C. Well, that's... Wow. Yeah, I didn't even note that down, but... That's because it's not noteworthy. I wonder if it would still work <laughs> if she made a mistake. Probably not. <laughs> we cut back to Willow mad at Malcolm slash Moloch. I don't know why, because he didn't lie to her. What? He didn't say he wasn't a really cool-looking robot. Well, he did. He loves her. I guess he did. Why can't you but just accept his love? Why can't she just learn to love? I if It's like if Ultron came up to me and he's like, hey, love me. Yeah, you're a cool robot. <laughs> this is just Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> How bad this episode is. I know Allison really did really good in this scene. She was actually like tears on her face. Like, in her eyes and then on her face. In her eyes and then not in her eyes and then in her eyes. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Allison Hannigan can make anything work and be wonderful. She's... She is such a brilliant Willow. I mean... Yeah. Even even in a terrible episode like this, and this episode is terrible, you really care about what happens to Willow, no matter what. And we discussed that in our second episode, I believe it was. We said that put Willow in danger and you're going to have a good episode, which not not always true, as we've just found out. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I don't know if I go so far as say this is a good episode. I mean, Allison Hannigan's amazing in it. Um, but she just is such a great and giving actress. 
that I think that kind of does that for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. But while this is happening, uh, Moloch's smoking out Buffy and Xander <laughs> in the hallways. And they're kind of passing out. Before Buffy decides to kick open the door and dropkick Moloch. And she falls <laughs> right on so, the ground. That's so fast. There was no reaction time. It was all reaction time. Just Boom! She's in the room and drop kicking. She's already in drop It doesn't make sense because they're like dying. They're too weak to open the door. And then all of a sudden she opens the door. And it's like... <laughs> took Wait, is this when she goes, ow, metal? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Giles, meanwhile, screaming out the incantation, which makes no sense unless Jenny's typing it in all caps and he wanted to convey that to her. <laughs> it was for effect. <laughs> and uh, her computer blows up. <laughs> Yeah, that makes no sense. The source of... No. So, after this, you know, we can assume the spell worked. Xander gets excited because he got to hit somebody. <laughs> we but, didn't need to. No. <laughs> he, he just hit that scientist that looked like a... I don't... I, I made a mental note and then I forgot it of who he looked like. But he hits him. Yeah, and Jenny's computer is glitching out. It looks like she needs to refrag it. He's the the doctor was the lawyer from Mount, uh, from Parks and Rec, wasn't he? Was he? And isn't he? I think he's like Captain Holt's husband in Brooklyn Nine Nine too. I don't have to. I'd have to look into it. I guess. But... Meg Griffin, extras expert. <laughs> so the spell works, and Molly's out of the net. But they check, and he's not in the book. So maybe it, the spell didn't work, and that's just bad writing. Why would they do that? I don't. Because he's bound to. Robo Moloch. They never come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not so bad that he's trapped into the robot body now, but it doesn't make any sense. It's cool. Now it's a robot with a soul. And you like Angel. <laughs> a robot with a soul. Uh, Willow decides to fight back with a fire extinguisher, which is the toughest we've ever seen her. Yeah, she's wailing on him. Too bad he, he can't take damage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Buffy fools him. He punches a breaker and short circuits himself. Because there's another reference to the movie Short Circuit. No, he disassembled. <laughs> and uh, he blows up, and that's a demon death count of one. But what hey. happened to the scientist? Robo demon. That got punched out. I think he just got punched. Human death count. <laughs> Xander snapped his neck with that haymaker. <laughs> Xander saved his life, is what I'm thinking happened. <laughs> Do you think Willow kept Moloch's head as a reminder not to online date? I know that you can buy Moloch's head. Can you? And I want it. I bet you do. <laughs> uh, and then Giles and Jenny have another, once again, argument about books. Uh, great line that's almost... its I would say it's almost iconic, because it's one of the most memorable ones. Is when he says that he doesn't like computers because of the smell. He's reminded that mm -hmm. computers don't smell. And he has a great monologue about books and how they're tangible, and that's why he likes them. And that's one of the more memorable parts of this whole episode, I think. You know what's not memorable, but I remembered it, and I have no idea what they're talking about? Giles says something along the line of, I don't wear my corkscrews from my ear. And Jenny says, neither do I. She says, that's not where I dangle it. And it took me yep. a while, but I thought about it, and I got I it. It's dirty. I still don't know what they're talking about. Just think it's about it. It's dirty. dirty. Despite that, what is Giles talking about? He's talking he about found, big earrings. He found her earring. Oh, okay. A corkscrew earring. Well, that's I mean, quote-unquote earring. I just put a charm, so. And she says, that's not where I dangle it. 
Yeah, she's hitting on Giles. Jenny, dirty and she's nice been so mean to him. Yeah, this whole episode. <laughs> but they kind of uh, hit it off in the scene. It almost feels like they have a kind of they have an antagonistic love, hate, chemistry. love hate, chemistry. hate hate. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I love I love Giles. No, I just I love Giles' speech about books. I do oh. too. It's really great. It makes you think that books won the debate. <laughs> They are me. I I love books so much. I mean, I just honestly, I I have a Kindle and I have like three different Kindles and I still buy actual books. (laughs) And apparently Kindles (laughs) just in bulk. I like to buy them and have just one in each room. Up until recently, I didn't realize that you could put multiple books on a Kindle. I'm just a bookshelf full of kids. <laughs> but uh, outside, the gang is teasing Willow about still being down, saying, "Remember fun, that thing where you smile." And they mentioned that you know it was her, it was her mishap. They mentioned that they dated vampires and Manti. And Buffy and... lies. Why? Because it's the only boy that she has shown any interest in since she came here ended up being a vampire, except for Owen. Who you were absolutely smitten with for an episode. Yeah. But so Robot Demon's not that weird. And they decide, let's face it, none of us are ever going to have a happy, normal relationship. We're doomed. And they laugh and then get sad. I <laughs> thought this scene was probably the best scene in the entire episode. Hey, Robot. I agree. <laughs> and it's foreshadowing for what's in store for the relationships. Well, and it's just, it's such a mature realization for them to have at like 16, 15 years old to realize that. That was when I realized. <laughs> I was like, that's when I realized I'm never going to be happy. <laughs> but uh, for the episode, we got a human death count of three total, demon one. And yeah, David and Fritz, you can find in the yearbook with their names and bios. And actually, I feel like Fritz, Fritz is, doesn't count. Fritz's bio. <laughs> Uh, in the yearbook, it says that he's like something along the lines of he's a a loss to the future of computers. He's like thirty seven years old, and they're like, old. "Damn, what's a nice thing to say about Fritz?" <laughs> <laughs> he's he was jacked in. <laughs> he's part of everyone's virtual reality now. <laughs> I imagine Fritz is living in some weird Max Headroom universe. Fritz isn't living anywhere. <laughs> <The> matrix. <laughs> it's time of the episode where we give our rating out of five sticks. Meg, I'm sure you know how this works. We'll start with you since you're our special guest. If you had to give this episode a rating out of five sticks, what would you give it? Oh, man. I guess it depends on the camp level that I want to give. If I want to give extra stakes for camp level. Because it was a terrible episode, but it's so fun to watch all the horrible technology. <laughs> Um, I guess I'm going to give it, I'll give it two stakes out of five. And Clairvoyant, how about you? What would you say? I've lived a sad life. <laughs> 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 and, and then an episode like this comes along brings me a little joy with their, with their big sexy robots. <laughs> and I am adamant that that robot is possibly the highlight of my life. So, <laughs> I'm gonna go it's with. Okay, you had a short life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with three. I a really three. a three. I this episode 
yeah, campy, but damn, did I enjoy it. And that robot camp is level, cool. Camp level, I'd like, cool. give it like a four, but overall, I have to give it a well, two. Well, I have to average the, like, is this episode good versus the camp level. And okay, well, maybe it. then maybe then if I average, it would be a three versus... Because, like, yeah, it's stupid and thinly <laughs> plotted, but it's really plotted. entertaining. And I can't get over how cool that robot looks. <laughs> well, you brought our average up, unfortunately, for the episode. <laughs> because I gave it 1.5 out of 5 stakes. I think hey, it's on par with oh. one of the worst episodes. That's, that hurts. You're comparing this to Teacher's Pet? I am. It's no. not as bad no. as the pack, but it's bad. <laughs> I don't this think a, it... This is double that. This is... To put it into perspective, you gave this a higher episode than, or higher rating than almost any other episode this season. <laughs> <laughs> I am well, that's fully horrible. Aware. Angel deserves a pretty... Angel got a higher rating than this. Angel's and another a episode, episode tied with it, and that's it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> See, I, I, I go by, like, like, nostalgia camp level, and that brings my rating up to a two. <laughs> I think... Witch and iRobot Eugene are on par. I disagree, but I... we'll agree to disagree. Meg, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, uh, and why don't you give us a little plug on your two your two shows? My two shows. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I host a podcast called Mindy's Minute, which is all about the Mindy Project, and my husband indulging me in my fangirling. And my other podcast is Outlandish Conversations, in which uh, Amy, my co-host, and I talk everything Outlander and sci-fi and basically everything that we kind of geek out together with. So that's about what we do. (laughs) Where can we find you? You can find us at uh, musingsofageek.com or mindyandsminute.com is my dedicated website and i'm at mindians minute on twitter you are that's how we we met i don't remember how we started following or who followed each other first but i remember seeing your live tweets and that's how we met and got you on the podcast i think you saw my discovering of buffy season seven <laughs> you were finishing up season seven yes and i started watching angel and i actually got to talk to um one of the actresses who was on an angel episode last night for a big interview and I loved it so much. Well, we don't want to spoil it, but definitely go check that out. <laughs> Alright, thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you so much. And uh, looks like our episode rating for this one will be 2.25 stakes. Damn right. <laughs> Weedenverse podcast rating, 2.25 out of 5 stakes. Join us next episode where we'll discuss... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 9, The Puppet Show, with returning guest One Sick Puppy from the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast, and Episode 10, Nightmares, with One Sick Puppy and Shanny Dreadful, also from the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast.
can't wait until next week? In the meantime, check out Walking Dead TV Podcast, a podcast about, well, The Walking Dead TV Show on hhwlod.com. All programs, productions, characters, music, and stories discussed in this non-profit podcast belong to Joss Whedon and or their respective networks. All music, clips, and discussion used is either original, royalty-free, or released under Creative Commons designation CCBYNCSA. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Thanks for listening.